do our introductions. So I want to make sure that I have you all right. So Larry, your head coach. Dara, your defensive coordinator. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mark, offensive coordinator. Yeah. And then Tom, MVP. I don't know. <laughs> that's, a, that's a decent title. He's a senior uh, treasurer as well, if you want to throw in the title. Thank you, yes. Senior treasurer. Nobody was just resting in, in his account. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this Shamrock Bowl episode of the Domestic Game Podcast. To kick off this long-awaited episode, we start by saying congratulations to UCD, who are your national champions. At Kingsman Stadium, they came victorious over a previously undefeated Dublin Rebels team, the final score being 52-24. Covering it today, we are your hosts, Joe Kinahan, Kelly Dwyer, and Rob Caldwell isn't here for this intro, but he does join us later in the episode. With that, we'll get started. So, we did get to this episode eventually. We're definitely not, what are we now, probably six weeks late by the time this episode goes out. Ah, well, late is a harsh word. That was by design, Joe. It was kind of, I think if we'd have done it too soon, everyone would be still too excited. It'd be too much going on. The senses wouldn't know what to take in and what to leave behind. You know, this is kind of nice. Let the dust settle and then we'll just friggin' turn it all up again. (laughs) Yeah, let's, yeah, we got to, you got to. Build the anticipation with the audience. We know what we're doing. We're we're definitely not unorganized. And then I also think that this has probably been our most requested episode so far. So, I mean, we were never going to not make it like, but also we were never going to get away with not making it either because, you know, we have teams, not just the premier level teams, also our DB1, DB2 level teams get, when are the bowl episodes coming out? When is this happening? I think if ever there was an episode to listen to, I, I feel like it's this one and, this particular episode is, is actually pretty packed. We've got interviews with the Rebels, interviews with UCG, and a few nice wee little sound bites from the bowl itself. On those sound bites, you, you'll hear the atmosphere that was around the stadium, Kingspan Stadium, the entire day. And honestly, attending that game was fantastic. I know there were some on the social media giving out about, oh, it's up in Belfast. Why is it up there? Honestly, arriving and showing up at the stadium and look, 100% honest, not a sellout, but the atmosphere that everyone created there and it genuinely was everyone there really feeding into and providing an atmosphere. It was fantastic. Um, yeah. Especially early on when it was tight, like, you know, and a lot of third downs, place got loud. I've never heard as many chants for UCD at a sporting event in my entire life, <laughs> but I can say that I experienced it there. <laughs> I was about to say last Sunday, Jesus, six Sundays ago. Oh, I know. I yeah. It, how, how much we've built this anticipation for this episode. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if we actually did deliberately mean to do that, but. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure. you got to keep that quiet. <laughs> exactly. But here we are anyway. Yeah, no, the atmosphere actually, I've heard from everyone, the atmosphere was unbelievable. Kingspan Stadium as well is probably the best uh, stadium that the Shamrock Bowl has been in. It's. I mean, it, it was class and credit to Aidan McGuire, the uh, AFI president, and Aaron, the commissioner, and like board members such as myself and all that, even though I don't think I had too much of an impact all the way from here. But just friggin' class, just friggin' class, bringing it all together. Like, And then the stream itself, because obviously I was watching from Singapore, I wasn't there. The stream 
was brilliant. Yeah, it was a shame. I know you touched on that in the last episode. It was a shame that the stream didn't work on the American Football Ireland Twitch page, but credit to like Liam Ryan and Connor Whelan and the other lads that were there doing it, being so quick on the feet to get another stream up and going for those people that were watching abroad, uh, like myself. And honestly, they were class. Their commentary was so good. And I just think credit to them for doing that work. Credit to uh, Paul Kirkwood on the board with the Dublin Rebels, who was a great advocate for Liam Ryan doing that role. I think that it was just, it was brilliant. They were unreal and they kind of delivered so much from a spectator that that was the only way I could experience the game. I really felt like I was part of it and uh, it was just, it was absolutely class. So it was. The sound bites then, Joe, that we have from this game, and they really do capture the atmosphere. You know, I think that was your job to get a few sound bites at the actual event. What what happened? Uh, oh, let me see. Um, I... Uh, I suffered some uh, ankle injury. I was on crutches and crutches took up all the space in my boot and definitely I could not fit a very tiny microphone that would have been perfect for exactly this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we did get you the equipment, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't end up happening. So um, yeah, look, the the owl injury was on the brain. I think I think on that day. Just uh, throw in the Mourinho. Uh, I do not want to speak. <laughs> I do not want to speak. I will not speak. <laughs> yeah. Well, in fairness, we had Tony Rogers there, and he came in absolute friggin' clutch for us. Um, Tony Rogers from the Antrim Jets. And he did a fantastic job and he really kind of captured the atmosphere. With that, we'll let Tony tell us how he got on at the Shamrock Bowl before the snap. It's just gone one thirty in the afternoon. I'm here at the Kingspan Stadium on this um, overcast Sunday afternoon uh, for a very special day. It's the Shamrock Bowl, UCD v the Rebels. And uh, I'm going to be pitch side, so I'm going to have a real good view of everything that's going on today. But we're so early, hopefully have a wee wander around and chat to some people that's involved in the match today the first person i chatted to was christopher quinn he's just finished his rookie season playing defensive tackle with the craig avon cowboys and like myself he was a game day volunteer just for myself into the sport once got here always wanted to play and then have a major opportunity to help out so that's why i'm here and uh, you're here like us all because we love the game that's it 100 love the game can't beat it how was your season then with the cowboys yeah, it was uh, it was good, very enjoyable for myself. It was a steep learning curve. <laughs> uh, jumped in, but I have to say, the team were fantastic in supporting me, uh, finding out my role and getting a training and stuff. And I have to say, played some great teams this season, so it was pure pleasure. Uh, looking forward to the final today too. It wasn't long before we bumped into the Rebels' defence outside a windy Kingspan Stadium. I'm Stephen Walsh. I'm the defensive coordinator. I mean, without sounding funny, we're kind of old hats at this stage. You know, we have a lot of new guys in, but we still have a, an old core of guys who've been to the show plenty of times. So it's their job to kind of steady the ship and get the young guys through this one. Hopefully they'll get a good experience out of the first ball. Next up, I was pitch side as the Rebels warmed up. But one man who was sadly not able to be on the pitch was Sam Doran, Rebels injured receiver. Injured my knee in the semi-final against the Panthers. So fortunately not playing today. So it's a, a quite a fresh injury there. Yeah, I actually had surgery on Friday, just gone, so... Uh, Tell us what happened then. Uh, I uh, fractured my patella, so my kneecap, so... Uh, pretty serious one, not not something I could get you're, over. You're here weeks. today, you're in kit, 
you're on the sidelines and uh, you're rolling your team on. Oh yeah, had to be had to be here to uh, to represent Showface. Still be part of the team as much as as much as possible. And uh, other than the injury, how was your season personally? Yeah, it was good. Um, it was my first first year with the Rebels. Uh, haven't played with the Wexford Eagles beforehand, so first time playing receiver as well. So lots of challenges, but really enjoyed it. Really happy with how everything went so far. Cool. Well, mate, hope your knee recovers and I uh, hope you're fighting fit for next season. That's the plan anyway. And good luck today. Cheers, mate. As UCD warmed up, I crossed the pitch to speak to their injury bench. Yeah, no, I'm I'm injured, man. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty annoying because it happened literally uh, at the court game, the game for this one. And it just it's just really messing with me that I can't play tonight. But it's like... It's it's going to be a really good day, though. Like, these boys, they've worked so hard to make it here, and I can't be any more proud, so... What's your prediction? Oh, I'm thinking it's going to be a close one, actually. I'd say, like, obviously UCD's going to win. But uh, I'm going to say by, maybe by one possession or two at most. Yeah, right. What, what about thinking. you, lads? Are you in a similar boat here? Yeah, I think, like, we're confident enough in what we've worked on, and, like, the last game was close, and, like either team could kind of have it and I think yeah we'll have it one two scores personally I, I won't share this with the Rebels at all but who, who's your star player who's the player that's going to make the difference for you guys today what do you think Ooh. I don't know Got a pretty... so many like as in I don't want to sound like we're full of our team but we have a lot of good players and any one of them could kind of step up on the day and make a play yeah you know we, we're not really one dimensional we've got strengths in every position really um, but as a running back, you got to back the run game. Yeah. Let's go, Sean McVeigh. <laughs> I then heard one of the most recognisable voices in the league. Oh, very nice, very nice. So, so good, good afternoon, job, good job, uh, yeah. reporter Tony here, yeah, and uh, we've got Steve and Daggy. Daggy, you guys are part of the officiating crew for today's game. Yes. Tell us about the Shamrock Bowl. Is it a different game to officiate than other games? Well, obviously, their stakes are much higher when we get to this level, and so you've got the top two teams in the Irish American Football League who uh, have battled through the season to get to this point. So uh, we've got two Dublin teams, so that the bragging rights a little bit more important as well. And so, I mean, this is a beautiful venue to have a really good game, and we're looking forward to it. Decky, what about you? Have you uh, ex- any experience uh, officiating in the Shamrock Bowl before? Yeah, I've done five, six Shamrock Bowls before, so sort of an oil hand at it, as you would say. But uh, yeah, it is a high game, uh, one of the most important games of the year. And as Steve says, two Dublin teams are going for bragging rights. Then it was my turn for some training, this time a crash course on how to be a ball boy, with kickoff just minutes away. You'll hear me shouting, ball, ball, ball. You hear that, you know? Toss the ball, shout, ball, ball, ball. And if, if, I, if it sounds really loud, it's not it's out of not, anger. It, it's, like it's, 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 uh, it's, it's not out of frustration. It, it's, it's out of... It's, we it's, need the ball, ball to get this Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's yeah. over the crowd. It's over the crowd. All right? Okay, so it's five minutes before kickoff. Both teams are lined up along the sideline to do equipment check. Uh, the, there's a crowd coming into the stadium now. There's a little bit of atmosphere here, and uh, it's a beautiful day for football. This is going to be epic. I'm going to put the microphone away and do ball play. So that was Tony, and I kind of love the way that he tells his experience of being at the Shamrock Bowl, that kind of pre-snap anticipation. He tells it like a story for us. You know, you really feel like you're there, you're experiencing it with him, don't you? 
Yeah, and it's those kind of things that we've not really had from Shamrock Bowls in the past. And I just feel like maybe this is something we carry on doing, whether it's for the podcast or for AFI in general. But I think like capturing a, like a live, everybody's live reaction to, you know, seeing the pitch, fantastic pitch, by the way, seeing the venue and everyone getting ready and getting yeah. hyped for the game. Chatting to the volunteers. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a really great kind of insight into the into the anticipation for a game. Yeah. And actually, I'm glad that you kind of brought that up because we're probably in a position that we can do that. If a team wants to create a piece like that, like what Tony has just done, then or get in contact because we can sort out the equipment for you. We can all that send it to you. You can send us the soundbite. Absolutely. That is something that I've kind of uh, envisioned for this podcast going forward into the next season. That is 100 percent. But anyway, anyway, I'm talking business. Get away from the business. <laughs> Back to the just, just don't just don't do what I did and get the equipment sent only for you to not use it. Yeah, <laughs> to leave it at home and also yeah. not realize until you're at the Shamrock Bowl that you've left it at home. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I yeah, can just yeah. Imagine you sitting there like getting really excited about this game and then going, "Oh, there was something I should have been doing." There's, eh? there's something missing from my hand that I can't quite think. Oh yes, the fucking microphone. <laughs> so. Uh, sure look that's the way the cookie crumbles like anyway like who wants to hear the rest of how tony got on for the rest of the day i mean we got the pre-snap anticipation like do we want to hear a little bit more about the rest of the game ah yeah ah yeah we'll do it Ah. so this is tony from about half time all the way to the end guys for your listening pleasure enjoy So at halftime, UCD had the lead 22-12. And during the break, I spoke with Rebels Management Assistant, Ben Sullivan. So it's halftime, it's 22-12, I believe. Um, UCD 10 points up on you. Uh, thoughts on the first half? Well, the first half, I think UCD have played very well. You have to give credit where credit is due. And uh, they had some very, very good plays. Um, you know, we've had, we've had some tough calls go against us, but that's football, there's not a lot you can do about that. At the same time, at the same time, though, like we have the plays there. It's a little bit frustrating. A few balls being missed, not going to hands. A few, you know, running plays, come back for holding plays. Just the, the little things just aren't see, don't seem to be clicking at the moment. Um, I think if we can get that sorted, it'll be a different. It'll be a completely different second half, and UCD know that as well. They know that. And a nice early score would make all the difference. A nice early score would be absolutely. We just, we just absolutely brilliant. We just need some momentum now at this stage. Uh, we believe. We believe we're the better side. We do feel, even in looking at that, the scoreline does not reflect the performance. We are the better side, but just need a few things going with us. As you know, in sport, sometimes things don't go for you on Sundays. Um, the first half looks like it, but we're hoping that's the rest of it gone. So, no, good luck in the second half. Cheers. Thank you very much. I think really in the first half, it was the couple of bad penalties really hurt the Rebels. Some great passes and catches by both teams. Some big, heavy tackles, hard runs. Uh, it's been a great game of football. And the crowd's getting into it as well. Which is nice to see what an amazing location it is for this final. The home of Ulster Rugby, it's Kingspan Stadium. And so, after a thrilling and high-scoring game, UCD ran out winners of the Shamrock Bowl.
Amid the wild celebrations, I caught up with UCD's quarterback coach, Eddie Goggins Sr. How does that feel, coach? I'm telling you, that's a, that's a great win. It's historic. I mean, some of the guys in this team have been with the team for 15 years, and they've been waiting for a chance like this. First time in the bowl, we prepared really hard all year, and it really pays off. It's a young group. They're really fit. They kept their heads in the game and executed well. It just pays off. It's a, it's a great feeling. It's a great feeling. I remember this many years ago. I'm so glad they can all share it. It's brilliant. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. One of the loudest cheers of the day was when UCD's Tom Donovan was named MVP. And it was great to see Dara Farrell, the winning defensive coach. Uh, defensive coach, Shamrock Bowl winners. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank I think you. on the day you were the better team, weren't you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, we look, we knew what the rules were. They were nine, they were nine and zero. Oh, you know what I mean? They're a brilliant football team. Uh, but we knew, after watching them all year, you know that if we, we we executed, we did what we were supposed to do. We might just take them, and then you know, a lot of penalties and stuff. We made a lot of mistakes. We felt we gave them more than they probably should have had. But you know, all credit to them. You know that toy, like he's probably the best player in the league. You know, and we knew we had to execute, and we did. We sold out on a lot of other things, which we gave up the deep passes and stuff like that, where normally we would be strong all year. But we knew if we could stop toy and make make him play prop, make him play football. You know, we 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 did. And credit to them, they took the chances and they were in the game till you know till the till the yeah. till the fourth quarter. Yeah, I was going to say they, they were still were in it right into the third. Like, and that's a great football team. They have a great future ahead of them, and we're really looking forward to seeing them next year. You know, you, you really really are. You know, so. And a brilliant event today. What a great stadium, a great location. Credit to the league. I have to say, credit to the league. Credit to Aidan and Aaron. Uh, credit to all the helpers. Paul, I saw there as well. You know, we were a bit like oh, coming up the north from Dublin, but I mean, look, they put on a great day. Great day, pitch looks great, fabulous. You know, if we knew it was next year, next year we'd happily come up again. You know that. And the sun's shining too. Sunshine, it was dry as well, so we'll take that as well. But uh, but yeah, well done, coach. Well done. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thanks a million. Tom Donovan lifting the MVP award, and it is friggin' class like and the cheers and like that that being one of the loudest cheers and I think everyone across AFI was just so delighted for Tom to know that he won that and it's funny because I said that we have an interview with the the UCD guys coming up soon and I said that uh, to Tom in the interview I said like you know I think that everybody was delighted for you to have that moment to have your peak game on that stage to show up at that point and to to have an MVP worthy performance in the bowl and he's so friggin' humble. He's too humble. He's kind of a bit like, oh, you know, I don't know, like this player was good and that player was good and all of this. And the for me, I suppose, the reason that he was the MVP of the game is because of just the range of places that he played. You know, he seemed to be all over the pitch. I, you know, what he, he was everywhere. Yeah. And then, so that was the first thing. It's like, okay, he just showed up like left, right, and center. He was wide receiver. He had that class like kick that pinned the Rebels right back. We seemed to come up with a play every time a play was needed. And then that brings me to the second reason and really the standout reason why I think Tom was the MVP. And it was that touchdown that they scored just before the half 
I actually, I can see you kind of nodding and kind of giving me the knowing look. Like, what would you be if you're Aaron Mooney and you're after throwing that pass and Tom catches that he's gone all the way? What are you thinking at that point? Well, you're there, like, again, right before halftime. Like, that's a massive um, momentum swing. Bring them up to, was it a 10-point lead? Two-score game, yeah, that's the yeah. thing. That's a whole different approach to the second half for both teams, being three points or, or two points or whatever it was, then up to up to 10 right before half. And it's those type of moments that can win you a game. Obviously, it proved its point there uh, at the Shamrock Bowl. But, like, you go into that dressing room at halftime, you think, Jesus, you know what? We might have them here. And I don't think it was a case of having to wait until midway through the third quarter or the start of fourth where the actual scoreboard itself really started to show, okay, well, UCD have won this. I think once they came down with that score there with Tom, that was like, okay, there's something brewing here. And unless the Rebels come up with something massive, like they're not going to be able to stop this train really. So Yeah. And the all important, who's getting the ball coming back into the second half and (laughs) the Rebels were getting the ball coming back. So it's one of those, if you, especially because like you've said at that point it was very over back over back you get that final touchdown and then the rebels need to score twice you know what yeah. i mean it's just it was just such a huge touchdown but anyway we're focusing hugely on ucd at this moment and they are deserved of that but we will certainly get to that i want to focus on the rebels as well because of course a bowl features two teams and it's so easy sometimes to kind of not focus on the team that just missed out, even though they have had a fantastic performance all year, all season. It has been really the Rebel story right up until this game. It's been huge. And like that, you said, they were really in this. They were hugely in this game until the third quarter, really towards the end of the third quarter. That was where it just started to kind of break away from them. Yeah, I mean, like you look at their regular season and you have the highest scoring offense the best defense in the league uh, by points total by large margin but you think coming into this game they've held teams to an average i think was it 10 points a game less you're thinking if any defense is going to hold ucd's high scoring high powered offense of its own right you think okay it's probably going to be the rebels and they played fantastic on both sides of the ball all year so it'll be interesting to see where the likes of Ty Henry and Rebels coaches thought, you know what, maybe this is where uh, we could have improved on and maybe things that they could touch upon as they prepare for the 2023 season. So I have with me here head coach of the Rebels, Ross McCooey, and offensive coordinator and QB of the Rebels, Ty Henry. So welcome both guys to the Domestic Game Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I'll get you to introduce yourselves fully and to kind of give a little bit of background into your history in football. So Ross, starting with yourself. So yeah, I've been playing football coming up on, I think it's about 18 years at this stage, mostly with Dublin Rebels. Started out playing defense, playing linebacker, then moved across to O-line. And then that, that versatility then was what got me a role, a job out in Berlin with the Berlin Rebels. So, you know, same Rebels for life. So I played a couple of seasons with the guys there in GFL 2 and GFL 1, and then came back to the Dublin Rebels uh, to take on the DC role, and uh, then eventually the head coach role that I, that I currently occupy. I'm still going these days. Uh, some some trade on the tires here left. Uh, so... <laughs> 
you know, <laughs> we'll keep playing that O-line. It's just too much fun to play, play until we drop. Cool. Thanks, Ross. And Ty, then yourself. Yeah, so it's, uh, I think it's 27th season of football I just finished. Season, not years, so I don't date myself. But started back, uh, always kind of played quarterback and linebacker, and then kind of went to Western Colorado, played in a bunch of random countries, and then have ended up here. And then Ross took me on a date at Starbucks, and I thought he was cute. So we decided to kind of try to do this together. So I've been Rebels since then, and offensive coaching and seeing how we're doing it. Yeah, love, love it. it for, love at first sight. <laughs> love at first sight. Yeah, you decided to make it official straight away. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I didn't propose until our third date, though. So <laughs> yeah. Cool. And then, uh, I mean, so my first question for you, I, I think, is a fairly obvious one where uh, in 2019, I think the, the, the Rebels had had quite a difficult year. And I think as far as I remember, that was the worst year on record that the Rebels had actually had. You take where we are now in 2022 and the difference having met a bowl. Commiserations on that, by the way, but congratulations on an absolutely fantastic year this year. What was it that you did that took the team from the 2019 team to the 2022 team that it is today? Well, there was a good bit that happened between there, including a pandemic. <laughs> but uh, yeah. that year, uh, when we went two and six, that was a tough year. We had a, a a good bit of change on the scene there, as I think most of the league knows at this stage. But we had a rookie QB in there pretty much. Uh, he's very limited experience, so that didn't help. But as well as that, we had a rookie head coach in years truly. And to be honest, I came in with certain ideas and notions that maybe weren't best for, in particular, the offense. So that hampered that, that season there to quite an extent. And then we were just about ready to kick off the following season. I think we had all learned a lot from that season of change and then unfortunately the pandemic cut everything short you know and that kind of threw everything into disarray for a while and then during the pandemic I think that's when Ty and I had our tinder match and we went on our date <laughs> and uh, we just got talking about football and philosophies and how we both approach the game of football and as he mentioned you know it kind of clicked on a similar wavelength then Ty came in with his as he mentioned 28 seasons of experience definitely not years <laughs> but, uh, no, he brought a, a wealth of knowledge and experience into the team and, you know, and then how to build teams like he's done in Australia as well. And, uh, that was a big part of, of the success and, you know, everything he was able to bring in to help nurture the guys, particularly on offense. And, uh, yeah, that was a big part of the turnaround there. I don't know if I uh, miss anything there. Pretty accurate, pretty good portrayal. I think uh, in Ross, Ross is the, so even keel and so relaxed. And so welcoming, and that's kind of what I found where a lot of clubs become really clicky or really who's in charge or who has power or who's on their ego trip. And Ross is in charge, but never had an ego trip or never was worried about who was getting credit or who was doing what, just was really inclusive. And so that's kind of basically the whole, it really had nothing to do with football. It was more, I just wanted to join a club where we could build something very inclusive to invite people down and make them feel comfortable to learn the sport and part of something. Yeah. So I'd say that's yeah. kind of what was our base of growth before it got to any, like, what plays do you call or what do you do? The, the culture builds is kind of, I guess, what we're talking about there in those first few dates. I guess we'd seen it in our other experiences in different teams as well, you know, what it takes to grow the sport to uh, that next, next few levels up. So, 
that's what we try and, and foster with the guys. Yeah, and then Ty, just you touch on clicks and egos and stuff in football. And like, are you talking about your experience that you had like up to this point? Or are you talking specifically teams in Ireland being clicky or what's that in reference to? That's not not here, but everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. It always happens that somebody becomes the coach and somebody It's a very egotistical sport and everyone's proud and everyone thinks that they're the reason you're successful or not successful or they've got the right idea. But it's also the biggest team sport. And you're riding a wave. And so that ability to say, like, good wasn't as good as we thought, bad wasn't as bad as we thought. Let's find that kind of middle phase and we'll be able to get it going all right again. And I I agree. I think that it definitely is an egoic sport, but that it also is a team sport. And for me, like it's I'm probably in maybe my first season playing, even though it's flag, it's APA, it's not exactly the kid. It's a big difference. But for me, you know, I'm like, great, I'm playing football. You know what I mean? And I'm not there where I'm being like getting targets yet. A bit slower than everyone else out there and a bit shorter than everyone else out there. But I'm like running my route and I'm clearing out like my zone or whatever. I'm kind of like maybe by the end of the season, I'll be getting targets. But that's one of the things that my teammates are. They just kind of say they're like, everyone has a job. Don't worry about what your job is. Just do your job because it plays into the bigger picture, you know, and it's good to kind of to remember that. And then I kind of go, oh, yeah, OK, great. Not to be worried about it, not to let my own ego kind of take the better of me if I'm out there on the pitch. And so I agree with you. It's both. It's both egoic. And but you also have to put it aside and play for the team for sure because everybody has a role in the sport so then specifically focusing on the the bowl you know because this is our our bowl episode and so I mean I think that the regular season that the Rebels had was obviously amazing it goes without saying undefeated going into this bowl best statistically offense best statistically defense as well and you have to be thinking ahead of this game that you're going to win. And I think that every team going into a bowl has to back themselves, believing that they're going to win. So what type of preparation were you doing in kind of the Rebels camp? Like what were the the conversations like there kind of behind the scenes and what type of work was going in, this type of prep work going into this bowl? I think the biggest thing that we tried to instill in the guys was to not get lost in the moment, you know? Yes. That's something that can often happen with guys, especially more inexperienced guys, but even veterans as well, to try and just approach it as as a regular season game as much as you can. You know, obviously you're gonna have all the build up and everything, but just try to keep that mentality of just play football. So everything we worked on in the season, everything we ran and uh, practiced and everything, all that, tried to keep that as not as simple, but as same as, as similar to the regular season as possible, so that guys can just go execute it. Now, obviously, didn't do enough on the day, but uh, there's still lessons we learned that for our young guns and everything. But uh, yeah, we tried to just just get guys to play within themselves and not get lost looking up into the stands around the stadium there and all that. Uh, yeah. You know, I found it when I was a rookie, you kind of get lost in the moment, and that can can affect your game. Yeah, absolutely, and I think. There is a big difference because you have been playing kind of in a certain type of field up to that day. And the next thing you're going out into the stadium and, you know, there's an announcer and there's a crowd. And there's also like eight refs as well, which is different to the five refs. You know what I mean? So I think that that's a good call, kind of getting the guys to settle into themselves and just play the football that they've been playing all season. I know it didn't go your way on the day, but I really think that 
a good few players, the whole thing did still have did still shine. You know what I mean? That was a it was a fantastic game and very competitive, like right up until I think the end of the the third quarter. There, it was very like over back. No, I was going to say yeah, right up to the third quarter, and look, credit to UCD. You know they did a good job and uh, they managed to outlast us. Yeah, I think that that was very much their design. Mm-hmm. They seem to kind of bring a lot of heat both sides of the ball. So on offense, they have that no huddle. It's notorious around AFI, kind of most people know about it, you know, and that's kind of the design. It just kind of wears away. And then on the other side, they had this uh, cover zero stack box, extremely aggressive way of playing. And that's kind of what it's designed to do is just kind of break down a team. But coming out of this having seen that the what they were doing on offense what they were doing on defense going into the halftime where I think it was a 10 point difference it's a two score game so it's still very much within reach what are you saying in your locker room what's kind of what are the adjustments that you made there on offense and on defense we made some adjustments uh, schematically but again I think the main thing that I Steve and myself were all preaching to guys was to try and just stay within themselves and not panic. I think where we're going in, we, we just came up short of scoring, I think, before half, did we tie? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we that, just that would have helped boys. And then we knew we were getting the ball to start the second half and kind of needed to just put it together and relax a little bit. And the thing is, we knew what they were going to run on offense and defense. Yeah. It's pretty similar. Like, they did the same thing they did in the regular season. And to bring me to get the ball out of my hands quick, they're trying to set these gaps to try to force us to do this or that. So they're kind of trying to force us to do this. Dara, he'll say, I'm going to try to force you guys to play left-handed, take away what you're best at. So I knew kind of how we had to beat them, what he, the one thing or two things he was leaving open for us. And then it's just kind of down to, does that beat it? And then it was kind of the same for the defense is we're trying to force them out of that runs. And then we had two or three fourth downs that we didn't convert on. And stuff like that, and we kind of got out of ourselves a couple times, and they're a good team, so that's kind yeah. of... Yeah, the, yeah, I think a big part of it in comparison to the regular season was we came out of the gates, I think we were up three scores or something before the break in the regular season game, and so they were forced out of that run, that more balanced attack that they were running, yeah. and the fact that we it was one score back and forth through the first three quarters didn't allow our guys on defense a chance to, to really get after the passer because they were able to stick with the run and that was uh, a big part of the challenges that our defense had anyway yeah and uh because you know kind of a an, a question i had somewhere there on the horizon was to ask about that regular season game because you know that i mean i think that was a fantastic that was really the game of the regular season and especially now in hindsight and seeing how the rest of the regular season went where for a lot of it you know the final score lines I'd say weren't really they weren't really so close I think kind of you can never write off I think any team but there are certain teams in AFI you can't write off but in hindsight now it does look like it was always going to be a Rebels UCT kind of bowl so how much did that regular game feature into what year preparation like that you've said you knew them well from that game and you're saying that you knew what they were going to do. They knew what you were going to do. How relevant was that game coming into this bowl? I would say that Tom Donovan didn't play in that game and Brandon Atwell didn't play in that game. And James, their tight end, didn't play in that game. And I don't remember if Sean McVay played as much. They're running back 22. So they kind of added in these four. Tom won MVP of the game and 
Sean's great running back and James great. Then Brandon's amazing at a lot of different things, offense and defense. So they kind of added in four studs. And in that same time, Allen, one of our, a couple of us, Allen and Sam hurt their knees. Greg Johnson thumb or something. Yeah. Rex broke his hand. Greg broke his ankle. And so some of the matchup stuff that was kind of maybe we had an athlete or two that they couldn't match to. Now it just kind of seemed like they had the athlete that we were now putting a rookie on. Yeah. And it was almost like those four or five guys just switched. Yeah. And you could kind of feel yeah. that a little bit in the game. Yeah, that's very it. attractional. Yeah, the I mean, depth that's, of talent that's part they had. Of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they probably had injuries too and stuff. Their safety got injured against us the first time. They brought Brian, their starting middle linebacker, back. He broke his thumb, didn't that's play right. regular season. Showed up in the final with a cast on his hand, all big and mean and running sideline to sideline. I was like, oh, really hoping you wouldn't be over there today, buddy. So, that kind of stuff, you know, you kind of knew going in the game. It's going to be a good game. It's a good game last time. They're adding these things back, but we are talented as well. We've got a couple of guys that are getting better, but let's just see how it goes. Yeah. And what can you do then? Because injuries are kind of, they're so unfortunate and they always seem to happen like at, at the worst time. What can you, and especially because, I mean, it's a long, a relatively long regular season, what can you do to kind of mitigate the impact of injuries? Or is it one of those things that if it happens, it happens, there's really nothing that you can do, like, about it? You just have to adjust. I think there's a few things you can do, <laughs> much much to the yeah. chagrin of some guys. I like to get guys a lot of depth. Rotation, that'll stand to you. I always, I always maintain that'll stand to you come postseason games, you know, that, you know, you have guys that have their, that have um, played at least some snaps in the regular season. You know, they've got some experience. That'll mm-hmm. help, certainly. Yeah. And then look beyond that. You can try and scheme around guys, certainly, but there's only a limit to what you can do with that. So you kind of got to rely on guys looking after their bodies and doing what they need to do to be able to play at whatever level they can, you know, the best level they can. I think it's just all macro. It's all just recruiting bringing guys in, being inclusive, like we're saying, and you got to, whoever has more, get more guys that are capable, more guys that are good, that know what they're doing, that know how to play the game. And then, because you, you both know you're going to lose some, so you just need to have a bigger subset of that group. Yeah, and then, you know, you're mentioning the garbage time rotations, and, I mean, Rebels just created so much garbage time through the season this year. Like, I mean, he just kind of steamrolled over teams. And, when you did your adjustments, is that where you brought your rookies on maybe for the first time? Or what was your approach coming into those games that you've had where you were really kind of up a good few scores and very comfortably going to see out the game with a solid win? I think it would depend game to game. You know, there's certain games where we want to get certain reps with with personnel packages. Uh, We might stick with the ones maybe a bit uh, more than we would in other games where we definitely want to make a concerted effort to get guys game time because, you know, guys are coming down and putting in work of training and turning up and everything. So we do want to make sure that guys are getting field time as well, getting stuck in. Yeah, I think it's just all development. Try to get as many people involved. And you don't really, I think a game is worth 10 practices. So get them in yeah. there, see what sure. they can do. And if we do have a lead, throw them out there. I felt like a lot of our guys were kind of bunched up where we had a few separate, but we had... 14 different people catch a pass this season. So like there's yeah. a good base. And I think we had 13 different guys play O-line. So like 
we could kind of get a little bit more malleable there, which is always better long term. And so that's what we're just trying to keep building and growing. Yeah, I agree. And you mentioned the development of players. And so I think it would be remiss not to talk about the rookies from the Rebels this year. If we look at even just some of the stats from the actual bowl game, I think Greg Johnson just had an absolute day on that. And also one of those players that continued to play right till the very, very last. He had that huge play at the end of the game where it was, you could have said it was all, all near near but done, but he had 127 yards. He had one touchdown. I think he had like 15 targets, four receptions for that. He was phenomenal. Like same Dan Johnson, who just appears to be nearly the same player just at the other side of the pitch. They kind of move the same. They have like that same type of athleticism. And for me, Dan Johnson kind of really started to emerge towards the end of the regular season. It was kind of a game or a day or a name that we were starting to hear a little bit more. Then, you know, of course, Dave King, you can't go without saying Dave King when you're talking about the Rebels wide receivers. He had, uh, I think it was 53 yards, another touchdown. So it's touchdown apiece for all those players you know, ahead. And that's just three rookies on the wide receiving core there. And I just think that the development and the maturity of those players as footballers on the pitch is so notable. And then I think there's also been some amazing rookies, even the other side of the ball on defense, who we don't give enough credit to. I think Rex Harding is one of the ones that you mentioned. I think Alan Dowdall is another one that's fantastic. So rookie doesn't get good overnight and a rookie doesn't learn how to play the sport overnight. So what type of things were you doing in the Rebels with them to get them to that stage where even though, you know, the bowl game didn't go your way, these guys really, really shone in their own right? Well, I think maybe just before Ty comes in, I think the first and foremost thing is that it's a testament to the amount of work that Ty has done with the guys. Yeah. You know, he has raped so much with, with all the receivers and skill guys in particular. And as in part his, his knowledge and experience to them as best he can. And it's also then a part, partly their natural ability, but how hard they're willing to work as well. And I think you mentioned, uh, Greg's stats. And I think he had another 30 to 50 extra yards that were called back with penalties, I think, as well. So he, he had himself a hell of a day, even on one ankle. So. Yeah, that's just testament to the kind of guy he is, putting his head down, working, uh, and then Dan coming in late in the season, doing with that same attitude, and he's just a sponge learning, and as you said, got better and better in such a short time. And Dave, the Swiss Army knife, you know, the deep Debo, as we're calling him these days, is a wide back or whatever. He's a, yeah, just a supernatural talent, but a super hard worker as well. Uh, yeah. And they're all very smart about football, so you know, when Ty tells them something, they'll take it on board and try and apply that to the next rep. And then, you know, myself or, or uh, Steve or DC will, will mention something about what the defense is trying to do and how that impacts them. And, you know, they'll apply that as well. So a combination of all those things and, and the amount of time that they've put in in the, in the preseason uh, and throughout the season as well. Similar with, with the likes of Rex and uh, and some of the guys on the defense as well taking on board things mentally, I think, is a big part. They're natural athletes, but they take on things mentally, and that will allow them to play at that much faster speed than it would if you're still thinking things out in the middle of a, of a play. You know? yeah. yeah, I think it's all everything with football is down to reps. So most sports, like if you think of Irish sports, I did this in Australia. So if you play a sport there, it's rugby or fo- footy. Here it's Gaelic or rugby, let's say. 
But those or soccer, you can roll up the day first day and just play. Where with American football, we're inviting them down and then taking them to a bunch of drills. They have no idea why that drill applies to the greater game. Yeah. So they's like, I don't understand why I'm taking a one a step this way or pushing this bag like this. So I'm a big believer in just bring them down and find some way where they can easily run a route over and over and over. And then by the end of that day, they might know a hitch, a slant and a fade, but they feel like I played football today. It was fun. I walked up the first day and was able to be in a scrimmage and it was fun. And then you can kind of hitch them there. And then it's just keep kind of building it out from the Rolodex of those kind of two or three routes or two or three steps, but they're in a game that first day. And so it, I think it's a three-year process, but in Australia, we started a team from just pure every single person on our team was rookies because we started the club. And so we just looked at everyone like, okay, this first year is just loading and just get them all a million reps. The second year is buffering. And then the third year, the video is ready to go. So that's kind of when I met Ross, I said, all right, this first year, we're just going to throw them in there and just see what happens. The second year will be good. And the third year, that's when it'll all hit. So that's yeah. kind of how we're working it. And that yeah. reminds me of some of our pre-ball talk, you know, uh, we were just talking amongst ourselves. Yeah, we were saying the whole year we've still not, we never felt like we hit full speed, I think, in a, full, in, in a game. You know, there was always, we watch tape and, you know, there's always a few things guys are not doing quite right or doing the wrong route or coverage or whatever it is. So as Ty says, it takes a while to learn the game to where you're at that high enough level. So, you know, these guys will fully expect we'll continue to get better and better. Yeah. We were kind yeah, of like a one, one or 10 team. Like we would do things that yeah. were just horrible or we do things that were like, wow, that was amazing, dude. I don't know how you did that. Whereas <laughs> UCD had a lot more seven plays they would yeah. just hit the gap and run there and do everything correctly and if they're doing a seven and you happen to hit on one of those ones uh for you it can look pretty bad looks cool yeah. when we hit the 10 but uh we were struggling that's what how i saw it at least and do you think that ucd they didn't hit tens or do you think that they did and then but the lower was seven yeah. or what yeah no they still have tens as too i'm not Absolutely. saying anyway that they don't have just freak athletes but they're just but, Consistency. More sixes and sevens, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where we would have some some things. <laughs> <laughs> and so right. are, <laughs> are we counting then this year is year one, is it? And it's kind of like this is a, a building year. Well, what a fantastic building year. I think that, uh, it, you know, it has been so amazing to watch you play and, and and what you're doing and then Ty I want to give you the credit that you deserve like you really have been that guy this year you know and that's kind of known that that you've done a huge amount of work especially this offense it's so high powered and it really was one of those things that it was almost known and it was almost like a, an obvious tactic that if you want to stop the rebels you have to stop Ty that's what you have to do. We had, let's say, Coach Kevin Kay, the Panthers, and I think when we had him for the, the playoffs, that was his analysis was, you know, we went into the playoffs game and we just wanted to stop Ty and they didn't execute on the day because it's not so easy to do that. Very easy to say, let's stop this guy, but, you know, <laughs> very difficult to actually do it. Same with uh, the Cork Admirals head coach, uh, Alan Lomnasty, and he said what he would be doing if he went into the bowl is trying to literally stop you you know so it's very well known that you are the key to that offense with that in mind do you feel that that maybe left an obvious weakness or an obvious tactic that it's like okay if we stop this guy what's the next thing to do or do you feel like 
this is still huge strength. Like this is still what we lean into going forward. I feel like we can build out the offense a lot more balanced and creative, easier ways for guys to have easy wins. And then I feel that we can finish on some things that were definitely there to be finished on, but uh, some of it was just inexperience and things that just, I think in the couple years that maybe the guys will make that exact same play, but we were just first time they'd ever done it or like that was Dan's third game of football. So yeah. have the whole season to come down on Dan and his third game of football or have it on this or that. Um, so obviously with that experience, hopefully I would know some things and then I, but I do think I can always do a million times better of guiding the team better and me and Ross and Steve working together better to kind of coach things up and keep growing. Cause I don't, I think there's still a ton of reasons that we could have been better this year. And I don't want to just look at it as like, Oh geez, they got us on the day. I'd rather look at it as like, okay, what are the things we can get way better at as a team? Yeah. I think that that's actually a fantastic attitude. And again, it kind of takes it into your control. It's like, okay, it's simple. We break it down. We do this better. We do this better. We do this better. And we do it better every single time. Now, what is anybody else going to do against us? You know what I mean? I think that that's great. I also think that this is uh, like exciting to chat to you because we're here and we're at the end of, of season one as you're counting it. And it's exciting to see where season two going to go, where season three going to go, like what is going to happen? Because this is definitely a team that's just getting started. You're going to have a new rookie class coming into the next year. You have these rookies now that are going to be developed. You also have like fantastic vets that we don't, we also don't give your vets enough credit. The two lines, I think, are bowl winning lines. You know what I mean? So obviously there's a, an easy question to ask there. Where, what is the goal going into 2022 off the back of this, or 2023 off the back of this season? I think I said it in some interview with someone else earlier in the season, but the bowl is always the goal, the Rebels, given yeah. our history, but also just given, I think, the culture we're trying to build at the moment, you know, get the guys ingrained in that. So we came up one step short this year. So, you know, we hope to take one more step next year. That's always the goal. Yeah. Yeah, I think the goal is just focusing on what we can do, what we can do better, and that look at it more as if you don't ever focus on the goal, then you'll get to the goal. So if we just focus on the day-to-day of everyone trying to get better today, try to get more guys down, try to have veteran guys sticking around. Yeah, I just think with football, you can kind of, it's kind of everything in life consistency. So pretty much whoever, if you're the team that has training and everyone shows up on time and everyone does what they're supposed to, and me, Ross, and Steve make a plan, and we follow it and we keep working at it and we just do that over and over and over and over again. It's death by a thousand paper cuts or Chinese torture theory. That's how you get good at anything in life. So like there's a million ways to say it, but like everyone keeps showing back up. Everyone knows that ELE, we all love, everybody loves everybody. Namaste. We're all going to stay nice and relaxed with each other. Come down. We want you involved with us, whatever you want to do. Like we want to build a role for you and have open and clear communication of how we can get better together and just keep stacking that. Yeah, that's great. And it's kind of about do the work, get the result. You know what I mean? Don't worry about the result. It's just do the work. The rest will come. Exactly. Like, so that is that very much like your philosophy? Is that very much what you kind of bring at training? Is, is that kind of like just do this work, don't worry about the rest, that will happen in time? I think it's like we said before the bowl. I'm trying to say it every game. 
just play football. And if you do all that Todd just mentioned there, you just play football, all that work's gone into it, good things will happen. Absolutely agree. So I was going to ask you, is there anything that you want to highlight? Is there any specific player you want to highlight, either from the regular season or from the bowl? I want to shout out like sure. Cahill Keen and Kieran Fitzpatrick, and then really those lines that kind of get forgotten, guys like Polish, guys like like a Gustavo on the defensive line. We're going to really try to do a good job as a club to highlight everyone to show them like we appreciate literally from one to 60 every single one of you for what you've done and hopefully that that shows that they're re-engaged with our club and that anyone knows who's outside of our club that there's like a space for them in our club because that's kind of our main goal and that going forward we can have as many flag football teams, junior football teams, women's flag teams, non-playing members, whether they're involved in the committee, whether they're involved in the social media team, the this team, like we've got all these different, we're going to stream all the football games. We've got all these roles that we're just going to try to open up. So it's just like sideline crew, yeah. side assistant coaches, like we're always involving new coaches. We want to have some other clubs have done a great job of it. Like the Panthers had that academy of coaches coming through. We want to like all those things. That's what we want to kind of have going forward. So some of those guys I mentioned first have done a huge role beside behind the scenes committee, like a Nick Gogarty and stuff with, he set us up with all these different sponsors. So we're playing in the Shamrock Bowl and we have energy drinks. We have masseuses. We have tape. We have food supplement companies. We've got Optum Nutrition. Like it was ridiculous. So we were yeah. sitting in this professional stadium with more sponsors than college and pro teams have <laughs> and other guys on the committee. And so just they know that they're appreciated and that like the coaching staff sees how much they do to like make our jobs easier. So yeah. like there's a lot of things that are taken off our plate. At least that's from my perspective, Ross, anything. Yeah, no, that covers the whole gamut, I think. You know, there's a whole bunch of guys <laughs> that don't necessarily get that recognition, you know, the likes of Andre, I know you mentioned assistant coaches, but he put a lot of work in to help us with teams and stuff. So yeah, and, uh, yeah. Some, some of the older vets like Faz and all that. So yeah, there's loads of people on there that maybe get lost in the in the wash. Yeah, I think uh, Andre is is amazing. I think he's your wide receivers coach and a wide receiver as well. He's like Pinky in the Brain, you know, Pinky in the Brain. Yeah, yeah, I remember. that's Andre. He's taken over the world. <laughs> what's he doing tonight he's taking over the world yeah and he, he's doing something right when he's a wide receivers coach and you've got like three rookie wide receivers that you can name by name at the end of the bowl and just say all three of them had a great game like do you know what I mean I think he's brilliant and he also comes across as a very like intrinsically motivated to develop like the youth <laughs> of the sport you know what I mean he's really I totally get the impression from him that He's not really even too concerned about his own game. He's obviously an athlete, but he it means more to him to have the youth doing well, the youth being well coached and to have them kind of shining uh, in their games than it does for him himself to be like taken over on a game. Like, do you know, you can you get that from him. He's kind of a what's the word? What's the phrase I'm looking for? He's planting seeds. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Some of us are obsessed with football and uh, Andre so a little better about myself about not being as obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. He's so driven to expand his knowledge and to share that knowledge and develop people and everything. He's one of the most driven guys I've ever met. 
we actually have to kind of convince him to play football instead of just coaching and developing, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah. He's, he's a solid, solid option on the field as well. As, uh, he's probably the fastest uh, guy on the team. <laughs> like, Some guys would argue with that, but yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, I love starting that argument. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just here's a little grenade and Ty's going to walk away and see what happens. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Dan's way faster than you, Greg. See you guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're putting them against each Most other. Most uncomfortable barbecue chat ever. Yeah. <laughs> Which Johnson brother do you like better? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Dave's oh, little brother. We'll get him. Andy King. That's the future, Andy King. That's the future. Baby Dave King. Better than Dave, is he? Yeah, oh, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like and, uh, 18, ready to go. Is he in the the youth team? I know that um that's where a lot of these guys kind of came from. Is youth team? I think it's a huge huge success story. The youth and the flag in the rebels, and it's nearly become our kind of go to of how uh you know a club rather than a team uh can be so beneficial. And club means having youth, like you said, having flag football, and how much it supports your your senior men's team then as well. So is uh, Andy King, like, is he playing on the youth team or? Yeah, so we found big numbers with that and with the with the flag. So I think, you know, we're up with the two teams of flag now. I think we have in the group chat, we have like 48 people, five or six girls, all these other people transferred from over. Hopefully we can keep that size going. And a bunch of kids it's 16 and up that are real young or they're just coming down to training and to learn and to see it. And uh, it's become real like social fun hangout sessions that's where people are just learning so much and becoming friends with each other and also a big thing that we've done i'd say positively is uh we never wanted our partners to see football as as the enemy we never want them to see that so we've had a bunch of rasa's team barbecues where uh wags group wives and girlfriends and families are all included so like rasa's with fiona we you know so fiona comes around the house or all the different wives and girlfriends and we get the whole cruise together with the little kids running around and that's made the team way closer yeah i think that's that, great that's all positive except when some of the kids run onto the field in the middle of a game was it the semi-final against the panthers it wasn't dj he was too busy eating hot dogs yeah <laughs> he's bulking up yeah. yeah exactly future left tackle take over yeah. for you <laughs> he was ready to go that's class guys I think that's that's absolutely great that's kind of us then unless there's anything else Feeling good. Um, that's our story we're sticking to it <laughs> <laughs> that was head coach Ross McCooey and offensive coordinator Ty Henry they are a lineman and a QB respectively but they kind of don't really need too much introduction they're famous i think in our league at this stage yeah. <laughs> you should know who they are at you this should stage. Yeah. yeah and i think that anybody that's been following afi this year knows those names so yeah this is it very much with kind of an inspiring message for the future on where the rebels is going and it's you know it's very hard not to just jump right on that train with them and go yeah you know what I mean? <laughs> build it for the future i want to build it on the future <laughs> with them like but for sure they're being a, a wee bit quiet on their schemes a little bit quiet on their tactics and i kind of don't blame them i can understand why it a team would be quite on that. They're they're probably keeping that to themselves and keeping that into 2023 as kind of trade secrets in their club. 
to get back then to the the actual game itself because just before we move to the UCD interview which I think is probably what everyone is waiting on I'm, I'm going to probably check the retention of this episode and it's gonna be like <laughs> fast forward fast forward fast forward <laughs> the game itself and I particularly kind of want to focus on the second half where it kind of all started to unravel and the clear winner started to really emerge that being you know UCD credit to the rebels I really think that they threw everything that they had into that game you see Ty Henry like QB going in at linebacker and I know that that's his probably his as natural a position for him as what QB is you know because that's where the majority of his football experience is is the linebacker position and he actually did friggin well there because he (laughs) got a, a fine hit on Aaron Mooney at one stage the UCD QB which someone watching from a stream perspective that was one of those moments where you you love to see it and you hate to see it you kind of go oh wow you know like a big hit QB on QB and then you're kind of going I hope they're both okay like (laughs) (laughs) because that level of competition and it is one of those things where I think once we started to see Ty Henry go in at that position I really felt like the Rebels were given everything that they had to this game and fair play to them for doing that do you know but on the other side with UCD I kind of got this sense and now I don't know but I got this sense that we were really only seeing page one of the playbook and in particular page one of the defensive uh, of the defensive playbook and the reason why I say that is because they kind of were cover zero for the majority of the game I think they switched it up slightly towards the end of the game but they made that adjustment from a very comfortable where they made that adjustment, they made that adjustment from a very comfortable position, you know, where they were fairly ahead at that point. But the you don't go into a bowl game with a strategy of going cover zero without a solid plan B to follow up on if that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. And that's why yeah. I feel like we only saw page one. And I have a feeling that that playbook is or that game book game plan is maybe like 20 pages deep. And you also hear them talking about, you will hear them talking about, you know, their training, their preparation. And it it just does sound so deep, you know, like there's a depth to it that is remarkable, I think. Yeah, we kind of hit on it there. Like there was a bit of a difference between how, again, this is purely my perspective of watching from the stands and and watching it back once on the uh, uh, on the stream. But. I felt like on both sides of the, of the ball, the defences were kind of showing the same stuff. I think the difference with UCD was UCD kept working for a lot of the game. Yeah, I think if you watch that game back, like the Rebels were kind of getting chunks off. So they'd go a couple yards, a couple yards, and then it'd break. They'd have a massive pass play. Yeah, to either one of the Johnson brothers, exactly. Yeah, yeah they, he'd come down, probably moss someone, and then it'd kind of stutter again, and then another big break. So I think that kind of showed that for most of the plays that were being run, UCD, even if they were going cover zero, it was working enough that they were able to say, you know what, we're going to stick at it, and if we get beat every once in a while, we get beat. That's actually a lot of trust, a bit of a side, uh, side note there, that's a lot of trust on rookie cornerbacks. Yeah, which um, yeah, which Dara does say he's like I trusted totally my DBs. I mean, like the thing is, is Dara 
is Dara Farrell from UCD. He's the defensive coordinator and we do chat to him in the future, <laughs> the future of this episode. He does say he had complete trust in his DBs and, you know, rightly so. And the it's something he says as well. The coverage was good. Either one of those Johnson brothers, they're so tall. Like, yeah, so, yeah. you know, there's going to be, with most humans, going to be a wee bit of a mismatch there. And the other thing is, is, I mean, you don't go cover zero against a team like the Rebels that have offensive weapons like those two brothers and even the likes of Dave King or, you know, even um, Wello to a certain extent, even though the Rebels kind of did move away from the run. The thing is that you're never going to stop them from scoring. But it's just, a, is this defensive scheme working enough? Like you said, is it actually stopping like three out of four plays? Is it giving them enough to think about and then just chipping away and chipping away the whole time? Like really stacking that box, bringing that blitz, making everybody uncomfortable. Like the run game, they had to come away from that. And then you have Ty, like he says, like he already said, he had to throw quick. He had to throw in an uncomfortable position. Stuff like that. They did so well to just kind of pick away at this offense and kind of remove the strongest things in this offense from their game plan, from their playbook. And uh, I think it it worked. So whereas with the Rebels, it felt like, again, kind of the same thing. They were running single high the whole time. felt like man coverage the whole time. Like if a defense is consistently beating that, you have to change it up. I know personnel kind of changed. We've said Ty Henry went in a linebacker, <laughs> did a bloody great job as well. But I personally, I think if you're Aaron Mooney back there and the, what you're getting is as soon as you come out from the huddle and you see a single high and you see DBs with eyes locked on the receivers, it's like, okay, well, I know how to beat this. And I know it's a simple... Well, not, well, I won't say simple, but it's a very kind of, it's either this or this. Yeah. And it's not a big, detailed, long read that he needs to go through. And I just feel like that's why you saw how often UCD were able to break off, not even just massive big plays, but like consistently get six, seven yards on a run play and get that with multiple running backs. Like that wasn't even, say, just Jack Finnegan at running back or just Brandon Atwell making a play or just Sean McVay making a play. It was all three of them consistently making play. And I just felt like had, obviously I, I talked about the momentum change, maybe it wouldn't have done much to stop UCD, but for the future, if they see that kind of game kind of going that way again, would changing up coverage, would maybe disguising things, not to say better or worse, but differently to how they did in the Shamrock Bowl. Like that's going to be a key for them moving forward. Yeah, especially like when you're getting into these big games with your UCDs and your corks, like those are the teams that you really need to kind of you need to have. Like you said, you need to have a backup. You need to have a different look that you can give, even if it's the same thing. Yeah. If it looks different, it causes that bit of hesitation. So I think if anything could be taken from that game, in my opinion, on the Rebels defense side of the ball, it's to try and find a way to make Aaron Mooney or again, whoever's QB in the, in your game, hesitate that half second. And that's when you'll get your guys like, like Kenny McCarthy is a 
unbelievable player. Yeah, and, and he had you know, some you've got, great you've got guys, exactly, like you've got guys in that defense who can force turnovers. You just need to, when you're coming up against these elite offenses like UCD, you need to manufacture those yeah. instead of relying on a player to get them. Yeah, exactly. And I think that we're kind of reading between the lines a small bit of what the, the Rebels guys were saying, because like that, they're on the the schemes and the tactics and that may be very much in the three-year game plan for them and I think that maybe that's what they were touching on where they're saying that little bit of inexperience not being able to generate that hesitation and that that's probably something that they're that they're looking to to build on into year two and and year three and and so on and I think it's a really interesting point actually this idea of you know the inexperience and stuff of this because we had the UCD and the Rebels and I mean like the Rebels rookies have been phenomenal and we don't need to mention them again they've been mentioned (laughs) so many times and we know that like we're giving huge credit to them and they are so deserving of it but you know inexperience doesn't necessarily mean rookie that can be any player can be inexperienced in a certain scheme or in a certain concept or whatever and same then with UCD because both teams are in similar situations. Both teams had a huge amount of rookies featuring or COVID rookies featuring in, in their bowl game. But with UCD, if you look at it on paper, I, you know, personally would not choose their path to the bowl. If you could tell me at the start of the season, this is the path you have to the bowl. I would not choose that one. I would probably have choose, chosen the Rebels one. I feel that the Rebels had, I don't want to be bad towards any of the games or any of the teams that the Rebels played against more so just to kind of really give credit to the likes of the Admiral's defense. And they are so good. Like <laughs> They have been so good for so long, for want of a better word. They're so good. I mean, like they're, Brendan Kelleher there in Cork is is the defensive coordinator with the Irish Wolfhounds for a reason. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and it's a very good reason. And UCD got to come up against that defense three times, as we will also hear in the, the interview coming up. And that that may have been, let's say, the difference in this kind of inexperience that the UCD certainly, I feel like, had the more difficult pathway to getting to the bowl. And so that's where they may have had the bigger difference. I also think that both teams generated a huge amount of garbage time in their respective seasons. I get a sense that UCD, I think purely because of the way their seasons have traditionally gone, they were starting the season thinking about their playoff wins that they needed to get and or even like a bowl game or whatever but not that any other team isn't doing that but more so for UCD they were a particularly hungry team they were certainly a team that felt that they missed out on a Shamrock Bowl appearance in 2019 and so I do feel like they were starting their season with a lot of talent and just thinking about okay what do we need to do between now and then to win in the playoffs while also obviously winning each regular season game and it's like okay we want to win each regular season game and then we want to rotate hugely and they were so good at including every player on the roster you know in I think throughout the season and then you see it in the bowl you know, the yeah. amount of players that were featured that this scheme and that, I mean, like is the brainchild of the offensive coordinators and the other coaching staff that, of course, are involved in those decisions as well. And it just was a fabulous thing to see. And they kind of very much were, I feel like, oversensitized to 
big game loss. And so developed kind of a game loss resilience throughout the season that really just brought them to a different level, if that makes sense, in the levels of their strategic plans. So it's not only did they have a game plan for each game, they also had a game plan for the end of the season during each game. Yeah, I mean, like you kind of said there, how each team's path. And again, like you said, that's not to disrespect any teams that anyone played or even to disrespect the Rebels like that. At the end of the day, you went undefeated and your only loss of the season was in the final game. Yeah, That's not to be scoffed at. But if you told me, okay, well, I can either play the Knights twice and the Knights who went one of seven this year, or I can play the Admirals twice in the regular season and then again in the playoffs. I know that I'd rather not have the Admirals three times in one season, especially when they themselves only recently won a national championship and went undefeated in a season. And you have to, maybe that was something that I ignored in the build-up to the game. I know that I'd kind of hopped off the bandwagon a little bit as (laughs) as Coach Denny very quickly pointed out in in our uh, episode with him. But that was something that I completely ignored is how, like you said, like UCD had this resilience built into them that after the Rebels loss in the regular season and after a really tough game with Cork, uh, the final day of the season or their final day of the season, I had kind of said, well, you know, that could be a turning point for them. And, you know, maybe they're not the same team. But the fact of the matter is that they weren't the same team is because they were a better team and they kind of said, well, you know what, we felt that again, or, you know, we we felt that now, we don't want to f- feel it again for the rest of the year. Yeah. Whereas the Rebels hadn't. And when you've been going, winning games and winning them by 30, 40, 50 points, and you're now at halftime, and we've just given up a score going down 10 points, it's, it's sometimes it can be, even if it's only one or two players that feel, why isn't this going the way we thought it would? If it's only two players, it's still two players too many. Yeah, and you actually see it in, let's say, the final game against Cork no, of the regular season, not the playoff one. But UCD were in a position where their, their starting QB isn't available for the game. Yeah. And they go out and it was a tie game because it's a big ask to go out against a team like the, the Cork Admirals with your second QB for that season Pam Donovan is still a fantastic QB and like nobody can deny it I don't think anybody ever has and I know that Cork were kind of saying like that sometimes that doesn't help you defensively because you've prepped for one person and then the next thing you have somebody else and it's kind of a different a different game plan that you have to come up with almost on the spot but even the fact that UCD were that level of prepared where they have like a a depth in their QB roster that is a very obvious depth, you know what I mean, where it's something like, okay, who's the starter in uh, UCD? It's Aaron Mooney, and everyone knows that. Who's the second? Everybody knows that it's Tom Donovan, you know what I mean, that there's that level of depth to the roster. Third string now, I'd I'd, I'd love to hear who that is, but I'm sure they have that. I have no friggin' doubt that they have that, and that that player probably did get um, at certain points throughout the season there because they're just that way inclined, you know what I mean? Yeah, and obviously speaking of like the likes of Tom Donovan and you know other elite players like that that you can rotate uh, on UCD squad. Like I know Ty Henry had said in in the Rebels interview that uh, Sean McVeigh wasn't playing in the regular season. I I thought I thought he was in that game. Oh no, he he was, and I think what Ty meant by it 
not that he wasn't playing. Probably wasn't actually as heavily featured. That is one of the things that UCD did more so towards the end of the season. They kind of uh, featured the run a lot more. Actually, uh, Mark Lawless does actually touch on that funny enough. So it's very interesting. It's a very interesting point that you can chat to both teams, see like a coherence in the story in the sense that like, ties really kind of looking at it objectively and and able to talk about the things that UCD were doing very well and I like that they did say he did say he had like almost what you've touched on where they had a lot of kind of consistent like seven eight yard plays which is that's what you strive for really as an offense and then he also says that you know some of the the running players like Sean McVeigh and Jack Finnegan and Brandon Atwell and geez whoever all else was running on the day it just (laughs) was a, a plethora of of uh, players but you know that that was almost like I'm not going to say a new thing but definitely like a heavily featured thing in the UCD team that they played against in the bowl whereas let's say they probably only did that for a certain point in the UCD Rebels game in the regular season and I think that that's kind of what he's saying where these were the things that were a little bit different when they faced each other from the regular season to the, the bowl game one of the things that was different Kelly, I think at this rate, we've kind of said most of our piece on how the Shamrock Bowl went and how both teams' uh, seasons went. I think uh, now is as good a time as any to give the people what they came here for. I think we one more little small segment that uh, I think would be very beneficial to everyone listening. Right, Kelly, and now it's the time I think you and possibly everyone that's listening to the show has been waiting for. We've managed to get a hold of the three wise men from the East and UCD and the jewel in the crown that is Tom Donovan. So firstly, we're going to start off just going through a few introductions. We've got head coach Larry Doyle. We've got the offensive coordinator, Mark Lawless, and defensive coordinator, it is Darfarl. So guys, let's just take it away. Let's get you going, introduce yourselves. I think we will start with the man at the very top here. We'll, we'll start with Larry himself. Thanks, Robbie. Hi, Kelly. Thanks for having me and us on. Yes. Started playing football in 2008. The UCD, bit of backstory if anything, UCD American football got created in 2007. That was my first year of university. I joined it as flag football only. Got a love flag, no disrespect to flag, but at the time wasn't my cup of tea. And in 2008 then it turned into a full kitted team starting DV8. So that was my first year. Fun fact, we have two veterans still in the team aside from myself and Owen Feedy and Dara Mooney. From that particular year and a few celebs and so on if you're ever watching the news on virgin media for instance richie chambers was a teammate of of mine back in the day i've played pretty much every single position i think at this stage since 2008 fortunately and unfortunately and then had the pleasure through unpleasurable circumstances of being named the head coach of ucd american football in 2020 following the departure of andy to the Amsterdam Crusaders. So since then, Dara has been around for a few years anyway, but I'll let him introduce himself prior to being the head coach as the defense coordinator under Dave Murphy and his predecessor, Owen Cunningham, as well. So that's about it, I think. Perfect. I think that kind of naturally brings us over then to Dara as the next person to introduce himself. So Dara, take it away there. My name is uh, Dara Farrell. I'm playing football since 2004, I think. Um, I had a pretty long career, I would say, as, as far as football player goes. I started with the Rebels and uh, played with the Rebels for five years. Then I went abroad. I played in Germany, Australia, back to Germany, 
um, for about six or seven years. And then I came back to Ireland um, in 2015, I think. Played one more season with the Rebels and then hung them up, hung up the boots and uh, was at home for about a year, two years and got bored um, and said, I better go and do something about this boredom. I think it got to around February or March and I was like, oh, I, I need to do something, you know, and I was like, what's the nearest team? And I think word with the Rebels, the Rebels were still training on Sundays, so I didn't really want to give up my whole Sunday. So I was like, what's the next closest team? And it was uh, UCD. So I reached out to UCD, just a Facebook message, went up to training, met the guys. And um, yeah, I've been there ever since 2017 or 2018, I'm not, not too sure. Since then, I've been coaching the defensive backs. Then I took over defense to allow Larry to focus more on his playing time. And then when Larry was promoted to head coach, I um, took over assistant coach, assistant head coach duties on game day to allow Larry to just focus on playing and not having to worry about anything else. So, yeah, that's been it. That's me. I'll hand it over to Mark and uh, Mark, take it away. Sure. Yeah. So I've been following football since it really started here in this country. I used to go and watch the Dublin Celts play in the 1980s. We used to, they'd only have opponents coming in from the UK, for example, or from Europe. And that was an education in itself, but it's great to see it develop over the years. And, and then I was involved in football then myself. Um, initially, it was a, a lot of it was flag. And then I got involved with the Dragons back in 2000. And then the Rhinos then, most of the Dragons became the Rhinos then. And so I was involved in it there, ended up coaching. I was like linebacker coach at one point, defensive backs coach, ended up being defensive coordinator. At one point, actually, with an early iteration of Team Ireland, I was actually the special teams coordinator and, and the defensive coordinator back when Phil DeMonte was the uh, the head coach of Ireland, the very early version of that. And then, yeah, I was with the Rhinos for quite a long time coaching there. I decided, you know, with the young family, I decided to step away from it for a while. And then Andy Dennehy was looking for a quarterbacks coach for the for Team Ireland, for the Wolfhounds, and I decided to get back involved that way. That was kind of an easy way to get back involved without having a huge time commitment. And that went well. And then when Andy was moving to... To Amsterdam, he put me in touch with Larry and, and and the guys, and we had a good chat. And just seemed like a good fit for me. It would work well, like for some of the reasons that Dara mentioned, you know, with the young family as well. Uh, so I was raring to go with that, but then lockdown happened, and a lot didn't move for quite a long period of time. But I was looking forward to getting involved. And then last, I think it was last June, we we could get back to it, and we we were pretty much been going ever since you know we've had like a 30 month period where we were, we were practicing pretty much solidly all the way through it and uh yeah the, the results paid off in the end so yeah it's been great to work with yeah such a you know really talented bunch of guys but they're they're more than that they everybody works really hard and the organization is really good so it's been great experience for me so hi i'm uh my name's tom donovan uh been playing uh join ucd Firstly, uh, as I got into college in 2011, 2012 season, I think myself and Gavin Cork are the only currently existing players that are, are, are retained from that class. I was came in as sort of a backup at quarterback and tied in to our former quarterback, uh, Colin O'Mara, great man. He's moved since moved to Canada, obviously. I then took the mantle of, stepped up to the mantle of quarterback for a number of years, I guess out of the amount of trauma experienced in the the, the playoffs, I think uh, I was happy to shake things up and uh, step aside 
Now, Aaron won the definitely was uh, earned the, the quarterback position outright, but I'm as delighted to give a change up in position and, and kind of help the team wherever I could. That was since about 20, 2018 season, the last season I started quarterback. And then, yeah, Dara Farrell, thank this man right here, for me the opportunity last year to go over to Germany to play in a year in which we obviously none of us got to experience some football. So uh, delighted with that, uh, playing at receiver and back this year and obviously a rousing success fairly reinvigorated now to keep playing despite advancing now into the 30s so but yeah that's that's my story yeah absolutely huge success this year I mean it doesn't get much more successful for UCD this year you know it really was brilliant and we're a month away from the big game now and by the time this is out would probably be maybe a month and a half and so I'm just like wondering what is the the feeling now, how does it feel now a month removed from the big win? And that's kind of a collective question. You, you can all have a go at answering that one if you like. From my part, it's still a bit surreal because I guess historically I've been involved with the club for so long. Even when we had the, the pleasure of going out onto the, the pitch in, on the Aviva and being announced just after halftime this past Saturday, it was kind of one of those pinch me moments. You know, you get the, the goosebumps and stuff going on, but it just doesn't feel... I don't know. It felt, yeah, it feels surreal. You don't know what to expect when it happens. And then when it does happen, you're kind of like, because we've worked so, so hard, as Mark mentioned, it's been 13 months at this stage, at least twice a week. It's nice to see all of the hard work come to fruition. And certainly, historically, as we all know, as I think you've mentioned it as well, either in podcasts or in writing, uh, UCD had a bit of struggle towards the end of the season, historically, through the, the playoffs. So I think, certainly for myself, but a lot of the, the older lads on the team getting past that uh, that hurdle of the semifinals was the big, big kind of step, really. The ball was, to a certain extent, confirming what we already knew internally, but being able to show it to the rest of the country was kind of cool, too. I'd say I'd feel fairly... <laughs> I feel at peace, to be honest, now, having gotten the monkey off the back, like it. God forbid I, we don't manage to get another one. I'll be happy to, to hang the cleats up on the getting this one and that, you know, 10 or 11 years so far committed uh, of my life to the sport was, it wouldn't be for naught if I didn't win one, but, or if we didn't win one, but it's just great to sigh of relief, I guess. But I'll definitely, I'd say once the the season starts next year, the itch will be back and, you know, you'll, you'll be wanting more back for seconds, you know. Yeah, Absolutely. It's class. I, I was delighted for you. I was watching the game from Singapore. The live stream was brilliant. Credit to the Vikings boys for doing that. It was absolutely phenomenal. And I was telling you off air that I actually sent over the, the live stream over to into the league that I'm here in Singapore. And a few of the guys watched the game and they loved it as well. And I was just so proud of the standard of football that you displayed and the Rebels as well, to be honest unbelievably proud and really delighted that I had sent in that that link you know into kind of my new team that I'm trying to break onto you know and kind of say look this is Irish football this is what it's about and I really think it was uh, for me it's probably the best Shamrock Bowl that I can ever remember I don't know if it was just the two-year break or what it was but it also felt like there was a huge amount of hype around this one in particular maybe also because of how the regular season had gone you kind of narrowly enough like lost out to the Rebels but still it was very difficult to say who was going to win this this game kind of coming into it because you had shown yourselves to be right up there with them. It was unbelievable. Uh, anyway, I loved it. I can't remember enjoying a Shamrock Bowl 
quite as much as I enjoyed this one. So credit to Ian, just so, so unbelievably proud of, of what he did. And the first kind of question then, like specifically goes to the head coach, Larry Doyle, you know, obviously congratulations and winning a bowl and kind of your first season as head coach as well, even though you're a longtime veteran. We had kind of originally expressed our concerns in that one of our first episodes of this season about where UCD would be in terms of rookie retention and or player retention. And then would you be able to recruit kind of with students not being on site and UCD and stuff like this? And I think very, very quickly we could see how wrong we were in that initial assessment of where UCD was. So the question then for you is, given you know what we know now and the development of the players over the season was phenomenal. And what was your goal as head coach at that point going into the season? And then how did you get kind of the team and the guys on board with that goal after such a long break from football? I think going into any season, the, the very kind of media appropriate answer would be that everybody looks to, to win the Shamrock Bowl. I think the reality of it is if you're looking at UCD football basically kicks off in late September every year. That's where Freshers Week is. That's where our big, big push for recruits and stuff comes through. We had been, had the luxury, let's say, pre, really just pre COVID of having a really strong recruiting year. Unfortunately, the lads, the season never happened, but a lot of those COVID rookies, as it were, had bought in and once once we could start exercising together in pods of however many through May 2021, a lot of guys were involved in the likes of flag football and football and UCD can completely informal, but still something. And they kind of we knew that that structure as well as what we'd hope the structure of returning players would lead to would be that if we took away three or four pretty handy rookies in I guess September 2021, when we were able to, to start training again, it'd be promising. The goal is always going to be, sure, Shamrock Bowl, but the intervarsities which took place in UCD in November were already a first show of what the potential of a lot of the young guys was. For context, in September, that first session we had, in late September, we had in around 100 new players, potential new players show up, which was amazing considering a lot of the guys like that hadn't been actually in college in person for the year prior to that. But gems like Sean McVeigh is one to kind of stand out to a certain extent. Shafiq Obihi and so on kind of stood out very much and very clearly out of the the crowd. Owen McMahon as well, just to, to name from a defensive standpoint too. So those promise. It wasn't really until we played the Knights in that first game, I think, that it was, okay, it's all well and good going up against each other. We have the luxury of having some very, very good offensive linemen at UCD, which historically we had a non-existent run game. So it kind of led to promise from that end. But it was just one of those things where we knew what we had internally. We just wanted to get external confirmation by going up against somebody else. We had literally and figuratively heavy first couple of games of the the year going up against the Belfast Knights and then the Belfast Trojans I think if I'm not mistaken is week at, one week after the other so if we could handle those two games where it's heavyweight match, matchups then it would really allow us to set the tone from a UCD standpoint the kind of we knew this on the inside and then we just wanted to go and prove it externally like very uh intrinsically led you know what I mean mm. and that's where it starts and I love that kind of 
the energy about that. And I think it it really it came across to us very early how mm. focused you were as a team because it was very obvious that you were not agreeing with some of the things that we were saying when we throw out an episode. We usually hear from teams or we heard nothing from you. It was just like not got that sense that you were going to let your play and do the talking for you this season and a huge focus kind of really came across which was why I was asking you how did you get people on board with this goal because certainly you seemed like this one unit working towards one goal you know what I mean that really came across from externals so yeah I think amazing stuff especially first year head coach to have achieved that type of buy-in from everyone is I mean it wins it wins balls evidently like I'm not going to take the kind of reward for it to a certain extent or whatever the term might be it's having been having had the pleasure of being part of this club for so long I think and I've read the culture that I think a lot of people are seeing now has been imbued through the club for almost a decade if not longer at this stage like that there's a really solid veteran base where it's hard working it's people are strong competitive I mean, to name one, Tom's on the call. He's one of those guys who kind of shows up and shows out in training and just leads from the front. And I think the rookie class this year in 2021 just kind of saw that and bought in. So having the likes of Dara and Mark just kind of lead that by example in their units as well. But then from a positional coach standpoint, Tom Telford coming in and, and, and coaching the offensive line, been absolutely massive and just driving that solid kind of core group the thing that surprised me was i mean we essentially had this year both of our running backs were rookies or covered rookies but the that particular room so to speak is coached by connor hanrahan who's a kind of jack of all trades slot receiver can play running back he's a kickoff and specialist so on and so forth and it was very much again just the infrastructure was there from my point i'm just pretty handy with spreadsheets and just try and get the coaches to fill in what they're meant to do so we have an organized plan week in week out but it's really just the structure that's been put in by my predecessors both as a head coach but also players as well through the club brilliant thanks larry rob do you have a question there I have many, many questions here, Kelly. <laughs> Firstly, is there any positions for a running back who was moved to the O-line and played Division Two football this year? I'll send on all my game tape that I have. But uh, it's actually, it's, it's fascinating stuff, like from listening to like the history of how all of you got involved in sport and then sort of what you have been doing throughout the season. Like you said, we alluded to it on many an episode how... UCD were sort of known for falling away come the summer break. We didn't see that this year. and It was put to us before that that actually wasn't the case over the past few years. And I know that we even would have sort of been of the view that after the co- or after the, the Rebels loss and the Cork draw, that things might have been starting to sort of come off the wagon, for lack of a better word. But you've actually got everything back together and you've kind of showed through the culture, like you were saying, Larry, that's been built by the, the generations before, sort of keeping the drive going, getting everything back going. How you've got such um, integral players like the likes of Tom and even Galvin Quirk, who's still involved in the team. Just guys like that who will sort of show the, the next generation what to do and what needs to be done. But what I really want to go into is 
is the UCD sort of the offensive end of things and how that managed to develop like throughout the year. These were such a high profile, like, very high point scoring team. Such just just great continuous sort of athleticism. The no huddle offense, which is a killer to try and go up against. Guys in the other team were nearly throughout the season were unable to keep up with you. You talked about having your two running backs, but at times, even in the final, we saw that there was four, possibly even five guys in there constantly keeping things fresh. With so many people in that offense who we've seen to be great athletes, great footballers, how difficult was it for you, Mark, to go about sort of strategizing throughout the season that I have all these quality pieces around me to work with and to put in at different positions. What sort of obstacles and how did you manage to overcome them to like make sure that everyone kept getting an, enough of the ball to keep them interested and keep them motivated, to keep them coming back and keep them engaged with the team? Well, first thing is, uh, this is going to sound like a political answer, but I promise you it's not. From the first time I got up to a UCD practice, like the two things that jumped out at me was I've never seen this much talent on a, on a team that I've been a part of that I've coached, um, excluding the Wolfhands there. But in truth, you know, so many of the UCD players are on the Wolfhands. But, you know, that really jumped off. And then almost as quickly after that, then I noticed how everybody works together. It doesn't matter if you're Tom Donovan or you're, you're, you're somebody down the pecking order. They all seem to be focused on that's the first thing I noticed or second thing I noticed all focused on you know what's good for the team really and that that sounds like a cliche but those two things really jumped out at me and that has held true the whole time I've, I've been there so it, it hasn't really been a case of too many mouths to feed I mean there, there could be some times where you know that, that thought crosses my mind but it, it, it's never really been an issue everybody is backing up the guy in front of them or behind them and it's just like whatever gets the best results and like as the season unfolded that came helped us every step of the way we never had any kind of doubt like you mentioned around like with the rebels game you know we had a spell near the start of that game where you know in a matter of six minutes we we turned the ball over multiple times which put us in a hole that we climbed out of you know with like a minute to go in the game but then the rebels came back and scored so we knew we put ourselves in that hole and that was something that we'd have to fix. And it was very uncharacteristic, but you know, we still had a lot of confidence in ourselves going out of that. And then Tom had to step in a QB in that last second court game that towards the end of the regular season there, it didn't matter if he's the star receiver or not. He, you know, he got himself prepped and he got himself ready to go. Everybody else rallied around him and we played well as an offense in that game. And uh, we kept on trucking. So we, we've had confidence the whole way through the season. I thought, I think you know, that really stands something I noticed every step of the way. I think, like Larry mentioned, you know, Tom Telford leading the offensive line, that's their, the core engine room. You know, they're an uh, unselfish group on the team, by definition, like an offensive line, is that they're, they're five guys working together and everybody else, I think, takes their lead from them. And, and that's the attitude that kind of pervades the whole group. Yeah, and I think you did such a good job of feeding all the mouths. You know, that kind of is almost like a hallmark of the UCD offense for sure and you touched on that regular season game against the rebels which is the only game that you lost this season but someone had to lose it both teams were undefeated and you said that you kind of got yourselves into a hole and then you got yourselves out of it and then in fairness the rebels they had that amazing drive what that last drive from that amazing stuff from them 
but you obviously learned something during that game because he had kind of figured out how to score against the Rebels, which a few teams actually probably hadn't scored up to then. And then you were meeting them again in the bowl. So focusing from what you learned in that regular season game going up against them and now being in a position as an offensive coordinator where you're going into a bowl against this team that is, at this point, the best team in the country, you know, best offense, best defense statistically. What was your game prep like? What was your strategy going into that game? How essentially did you look at all the pieces and decide this is how we come away with the win on the day? Well, one thing is that we had a lot of good prep as well with Cork, I would say, because, you know, the, the Cork defense is long admired the, how they are organized and how good a scheme they have. And we got to play Cork three times this year. So yeah. we had a lot of good prep, I would say, with Cork. And we went back and we analyzed the, you know, our first encounter with the Rebels. And, you know, there's so many strengths to that team, so many great players. And, you know, the outside linebackers in particular, are Dynamite, they cover ground so fast. They make plays. And it's a tremendous... Uh, group of players in so many ways and uh, give them a lot of credit so you know we did over overall in that gate in that first encounter we, you know we did a lot of good things but we wanted to focus on a few things and primarily we were going to run the ball more there's certain looks that we wanted to get into and run the ball out of and um, in fact some of our biggest pass plays were run pass options where we could have run the ball or we but we ended up throwing it and for example like Tom in the flat there you know turned one up the field for a very long game so that was our kind of our main focus point, really, based on what we'd seen from the first game. We're obviously really happy with the results and, and how it went, but we know what a worthy opponent uh, the Rebels are. And, and uh, yeah, we're just happy to have come out on top, really. Yeah, you said about how you, like, you really wanted to focus in on the run game, and you could really see sort of the, the effort that the O-line was putting in. There's not a lot of times where we can give a lot of pop to the O-line, but... The gaps were being made where they needed to be made. Quite often you can hear players saying, oh, the gaps were there. But when you look back on it, there was nowhere for a running box to go. Whereas you could clearly see the linemen creating the spaces, giving the running backs the, the zones to run through. And that kind of thing was like something that you see a lot of teams don't have an O-line in such unison and such sync with each other, which was something that it really came across while we were watching the game, how well the O-line sort of worked together in creating the space and even to keeping uh, quarterback Aaron Mooney up on his feet. Like, I, I think that it was an testament to the O-line that this game, a large part of it was won in the trenches and they did prove to be stronger than the D that was coming up against them. We couldn't say enough about the offensive line and the work that they've done. You know, we knew we had a great opportunity because of the offensive line more than anything. I'd say any, any other group uh, on the offense, it, we knew that they were a platform, you know, that we had to take advantage of. And even though we lost Paddy Sweeney really early in the season, we still thinking we have some great players there on that offensive line and just a, a great way to, to, you know, it's so easy to call plays when you've got a group like that uh, to run the ball behind. And the young backs, uh, as Larry mentioned, you know, Sean McVeigh and Jack Finnegan, I mean, they put in a huge amount of work and they've gotten better and better as the season rolled on. You know, sometimes they'd make misreads uh, early in the season, but they've learned from them and they were playing so well as the season rolled on. Ready to kill iron on a flea flicker. 
<laughs> yeah, there's, <laughs> there's one one play in the bowl that didn't go as intended. Yet, so we're actually going to put it in. Can the Sean get can the Sean get away with that one? <laughs> that is that's gas. Yeah, well, we look forward to seeing that that next season. And absolutely, uh, couldn't agree with you more about the running backs. And you can see that the O line and the running backs are very in tune. Like I think you saw it particularly with Sean McVeigh. Like a he's very patient. You know what I mean? You could see him really time in his runs I think that he absolutely nailed that on the day it was really fantastic and kind of the coherence between him and the O-line is something that you only get through hard work really it just came across so Mark then in terms of like offensive standout performances which players for you do you think like really really shone in this bowl well I'd have to start with the quarterback I mean Aaron Mooney is his day finally arrived because he you know he's been working towards this for such a long time I think I knew him since he was about 15 He's one of these kind of gym rat type uh, football players, you know, even before he was even allowed to play, he was hanging around teams. He hung around UCD when he was young. He hung around the Rhinos when he was young. He'd help out and do anything he could. And, he, you know, he just wanted to learn, learn, learn as much as he could. And now he's developed so far. He, he's a coach on the field. He really is. He sees things. He'll come over. He'll, he'll see something that I can't see from the angle I have. And he'll suggest something. And usually it'll work. So he's a tremendous player and as I say, coach on the field, he does so much. He's matured to the point now where I think he's in command of everything and, you know, he can just lead the teams so well. He gets this look in his eye, you look in his eyes on the sideline, you know he's ready to go. He's just a tremendous player and uh, I'm so thankful that he got the chance now to get the bowl and uh, hopefully he can get a couple more because he definitely deserves it. I know Andy Dennehy, who's won, been part of 10 Shamrock Bowl teams, said that to him a while ago. He said, yours are coming. Uh, to see him get to get that bow was just uh, one of the highlights for me. You noted his performance in the game, and definitely, especially in the first quarter or the first half, even of the game, a big sort of part that separated use from the Rebels was actually getting the two point conversions. How you don't kick, it just it's not a thing. It's you have got a an excellent quarterback. And it seems to be just a matter of get the ball into his hands, let him throw it. He's going to find a man open. And if a man isn't open, he's still going to thread that ball through the eye of the needle and get it into someone's hands. When you have something like that, it's a big advantage. And that's actually a good point. He started the season kick. Yeah, he started the season kick. And I think was it Dan Versoo was your kicker and very good, very, very good kicker. So... It's actually a simple enough question, but why no kicking on the day? The Rebels didn't kick either. We with a shamrock ball with no place kicking, basically. <laughs> no, you know um, what was we, no. We basically point? we basically sucked at it, Kelly. We the the conversion rate of what we were scoring and what we with two one points and two points just wasn't the value wasn't there for us. So for our training sessions, the way we break our training sessions down, we get fifteen minutes at the start of every training session. We just decided that we're going to reinvest this time elsewhere. So we shortened our special teams segment at the start from 15 to 10 minutes. Uh, we focused on punt return, kickoff, kickoff return, and we took the other five minutes and reinvested it in offensive install. And that's been Mark to use that time to focus on the two points. So that just basically, we just robbed more time from the start and put it in at the end. And we were able to focus on just a short yard of stuff and two point stuff that was just married into the offense. Anyway, there was, it was just regular offensive plays. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Mark. Sorry, I'm talking your shop here. I should have, should probably let you take this. No, one. no, 
teams, I mean, that's it. We just decided the cost benefit of it. We get a better return on our investment in in running the two point plays than kicking the extra points. And like in the bowl, you know, obviously we scored more points by going for two than we could have by kicking our extra points. So it was definitely an advantage for us there and and help create that six point lead that we had, you know, even late in the third quarter. And then, you know, obviously we kicked on from then, but it, it did put some pressure on the opposition that we were converting those uh, two-point plays. Brilliant. Yeah, that was actually very well answered. And uh, yeah. They're just talking there about how the analytics said that throwing the ball is going to be more productive, more points getting, more winning for you as opposed to going for the kicking because your kicking game wasn't sort of up to the standard that you needed to be. Have you like applied sort of this analytical mindset to any other sort of aspects of the game whether it be which player you're sticking in on certain downs field positioning different things like that yeah i'll just answer from a scouting standpoint first off and then we can talk maybe to on specifics certainly from with huddle you're able to the further into the season you've got the the more tape you're going to get on a particular team especially looking into the last two games of the season with Cork and the Rebels. Cork, by the time we played them in the semis, we'd have, we've played them twice. Uh, knowing that the Cork that we saw in April in the first game was going to be very different to the Cork that we'd see in the last game of the regular season. And then again, very different a couple of weeks later in the semifinals. But again, just having the ability to look at those tendencies from a statistical standpoint, being able to see them in different positions throughout the year in different situations whether they're coming from behind or leading or what have you you're able to get at least a depiction idea of what to expect i think most teams in this country it's not like the nfl where you've got a playbook that's as thick as war and peace it's going to be not limited but you're going to be limited to the amount of hours that players can dedicate to it so i think the more tape we got on the rebels and quirk the more prepared, I think, we were from a sure analytical standpoint. Dan Verzoo did a great job in breaking down a few of the games as well, which helped certainly from a defensive standpoint. But even just kind of from mapping out the different plays, like I have just to the left of me, I know it's a podcast, but I've got folders essentially with the drawn up run plays and pass plays of the vast majority of our competitors throughout the, the course of the season. So you can really look into tendencies from there, at least from a scouting standpoint. Yeah, and self-scouting, important part of that as well. You know, like, what are our tendencies and what do the statistics say about that? So, you know, sometimes you're trying to get into a position where you can break some of those tendencies as well. And, you know, you were trying to be multiple. So, like we talked about in the bowl, like we were, we kind of played a different brand of football than maybe people were expecting us to play. And that goes into it as well. So you've got to make sure you're looking at your own side of the house as well as what the opponent is doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... With regards to players in certain situations, we knew a part of the defensive game plan was if we could get them into a longer down passing situation, we were going to get our speed defensive line in, which was three defensive ends, the three fastest guys on the team, and they were going to rush hard, and then we were going to drop off. We were going to drop our, our speedy fast guys, which Tom came in. Tom came in, Tom and Keane, uh, Lawler came in, and, and two slower linebackers went out. So we knew that certain specific situations that we wanted to have specific um, defensive packages in um, or specific, specific players in for that. And that just came down to scouting the way we do. And as a, as a coaching staff, we put a lot of hours into scouting, self-scout and opponent scout. And as Larry said, 
we all have stacks of notes on, on teams and on how they've done stuff through the year and, and how we could basically get ourselves in a position for a certain time. So it comes back to when the lads, we get the lads in certain situations and we'll put lads through certain situations and run specific plays that we may think that they'll run at a specific time, you know. So we you know we're big on scout, we're big on self-scout and we're probably our harshest critics, Mark and myself, with our, our sides of the ball and Larry's always there giving his input to both of us as well and what he thinks and what we can and can't do better. So, And we got Andy Dennehy, which, which we haven't really mentioned as well. Like Andy has been a great help, you know, from a distance, yeah. obviously working out of Amsterdam, but he, he's really helped us uh, as well in many respects there as well. Yeah. He's, and he's been fantastic. Yeah. He's been absolutely unbelievable. Major shout out and kudos to Andy too. He was um, definitely uh, an extra, extra set of eyes, you know, on, on everything. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and there's a reason why he's won 10 bowls and that's only counting the ones in Ireland. That's not even counting the international ones, like, you know, and you could see him kind of calling in the plays on the day. And there was some fantastic play calling. And I'm just wondering whose brainchild were some of those plays? There were some goal line plays I think were absolutely fantastic. He was calling them in. But Mark, was that you and Andy working together to make adjustments and call certain plays to get your touchdowns and all that or or where were they coming from was that purely Andy or or what was that well, like on the day yes yeah, like as we were preparing for the bowl like I had of having Andy there uh for the week before and so rather than like it, we were signaling in with the hand signals in the semi-final so I had a play card but it ended up stuck in my back pocket most of the time because I was doing the hand signals and so that's I was trying to get familiar with that because previously we were using wrist coaches, you know, I'd call like red 12 and everybody would look at the wrist coach and they, they, they'd know what the play was, but to go even faster, we were just using the signaling system since the semi-final. And like I say, uh, trying to look at the card and, and do the signals is a little bit awkward. So the, the best thing to do was to have, uh, I'd have the card and Andy would do the signaling and that, that seemed to work really well, but I was going to take full advantage of having Andy around for that final. So, we were talking about everything every step of the way and you know what we were seeing and where the best calls to go there so yeah he was integral to the process there and so there was a lot of i might call a play and, and then we'd have a you know if there was a timeout or between drives we'd discuss it and maybe we'd, we'd focus on some things in particular so yeah andy was integral to the whole play calling there i think the next question then has to go to the defensive coordinator dara hopefully be able to hear you but kind of the same question for yourself what was your defensive game plan going into bowl where you're coming up against the rebels offense which is i mean you know was widely revered at that stage still is i think i think the rebels had a fantastic day on offense you know so rare to score 24 points and not come away with the win but uh, when the other team scores 50 it's kind of hard to do that so what was the defensive game plan coming into this bowl yeah, I mean the defensive game plan was was uh, very simply act- simple actually was stop toy, and that was it. We sold out on that, and um, I think it was pretty clear to see from everybody it was over zero. Just stop the best player in in the best offensive player in the league, and let's let's be honest, that's what he is. He's just so so good. But we knew from playing him the first time and then watching tape on them all year that toy makes his best plays when he's allowed to run around. And um, he has that time back there. So my first protocol was to take that time away. And then it was, if I'm not a, if I'm the defensive back coach for UCD and the, the Wolfhounds defensive back coach as well, I would put my DBs against anyone in the league. So I figured we'd put them out there on an island and let them see what they could do. And 
credit to the tie and the Johnson brothers. They picked up, I think, three scores in the air against us. But I think we won about 50, 60, 70% of those duels as well. You know, so Owen McMahon, even though he had, I think, two or three of those scores caught, two of those scores caught over him, he had perfect coverage all day. You can coach height. The Johnson lads are fantastic players. I think they're 6'3 or 6'4 each. Owen McMahon's 5'10, just five, six inches there. That's That makes a difference, you know. So his coverage was on the spot all day. And, and credit to him, he he didn't stop. And then he got an injury. And it's the only reason he was taken out. We had to put Keen Lawler in. And then Kieran O'Connell gave up one score over Greg. And that was Kieran's first touchdown all year that he gave up. He doesn't get the respect he needs or he deserves because uh, he's without doubt the best cornerback in the league. And he gave up that one touchdown, which he's still upset about. So I'll just give him a shout out at that. Don't worry, we got the win here on. And yeah, we dropped off. We rushed three linemen or we rushed six as much as we could all day and uh, got them into the situations we wanted in, which was the third and long. And yeah, we just sent the house at him and, and we we wrapped him up. And, you know, and credit to Toy, we, I'm not sure how many times we put him on his back, but he earned a lot of respect from UCD that day where he kept getting up and kept playing. So he's a warrior and he's only good for the league and he makes defensive coordinators like myself and other defensive coordinators around the league better coaches having to worry about him and coach against him. So, yeah, that was it. My main question was watching Brian Broderick and the absolute cast yeah. that he had on. In the commentary, it was said that he the man was playing with yeah. a broken arm. So, yeah, he was. Yeah, Brian, so he wasn't, he, he had broke his arm Brian had a pick against the Panthers, which he returned to the two, I think, and got tackled. And as he landed, he landed awkwardly on his wrist and broke his wrist or his hand, one or the other, I'm not sure. Yeah, he had a pretty bad break in his wrist. So just to double back on that, injuries, we had four starters on defense. We lost two injuries this year. We had three knees and then Brian with a broken wrist. So we thought, okay, we've lost big rig. This is... You know, he's gone. Brian went, sort of was running around again. He got the cast off and he was like, yeah, you know, I was feeling pretty good. Um, we, you know, we, we had him. He was there for training at the semis. And we were like, what do you think? And he goes, nah, look, I don't have the confidence to engage linebackers, you know, or to engage all linemen. And I was like, well, you're not playing then. If that's the case, you know, if you can't, if you don't have confidence in it, you're no good to us being on the field. Like, you know, so... We got the semi-final out of the way. We got another week. And he was like, you know what? It's actually feeling pretty good. Maybe I can give this a crack. So with that, he went off and basically bought himself a, a, a wrist splint and he got it strapped up. And then, yeah, he came back the week of the ball. Um, you know, your starting stud middle linebacker is back in the game all of a sudden. And it just gives your, brings your defensive game plan to another level because all the hubbub and uh, about other players on the day and stuff and players coming in. Brian was by far the best defensive player on the field. Boy, and it wasn't even close. And that was with one arm. So really excited to see what he can do going forward. He's Wolfhounds camp coming up there too. So he's a great future of football ahead of him as a as a middle linebacker in Ireland, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah no, he, he had a fantastic game. I know it was him and Eddie Goggins I have down here as forcing the first fumble of the game where they just brought the house down on Ty Henry. As you were saying, that was sort of the, the overall yeah. goal of the day was to just get everyone in that backfield. There was a few times where, like you said, DPI, there was a couple of flags thrown against him there. The fact that they kept targeting McMahon and how do you manage to get a player like that? You know, everything's coming his way constantly. How do you manage to get him that 
even say after one, even after the second DPI, what do you say to a player like that to just be like, look, you still have this, you're still keeping control of the guys? Because a few of those DPIs still in the game, you know, cap, like they they did yeah, prevent touchdowns. You don't want to give away yeah, penalties. I mean, sometimes penalties necessary to give away. Yeah, I mean, to be completely straight with you, any penalties that any penalties that I gave away, I was defensive back, I was a cornerback for years. But what do I say to him? I say absolutely nothing to him because he's doing his job and he's playing on the edge. And if you can't play, <laughs> if you want to play defense for me, you play on the absolute edge all the time. And that's what this defense does. So some of them were questionable. One or two of them were really questionable. That's a different topic for a different day. And we're not going to get into that too much. But um, Owen was out there flat, playing flat out and they went, Ty came after him. And, you know, I think in the first half he was, I think he only won or two against them. It was the sort of the third quarter when it maybe kind of fell apart and in fairness for him. Like, but as cool as you like, that guy doesn't get rattled at all, at all. And that's what makes him such a good cornerback. And that's why he was the rookie starting in the bowl. You know, he didn't flinch once. He was more upset with himself. I didn't have to say anything to him. He knows, he knows when he was getting caught. So he's just a, another one we were really lucky to have. So, yeah. Yeah, I just think defense and the offense just complemented it's each other so well on the day. You know, that that defense really brought the heat that kind of covers zero and stack in the box. And it kind of forced the Rebels offense, I think, to abandon the run game probably a lot sooner than any offense wants to to abandon it. And, and they, he also had put them offensively, you know, into a position where they were chasing the game all game. So... It was that thing. At certain times, they were only chasing the game by one score. And then just you were so yeah. good at turning those screws. I really think, you know, that that spread offense and it just was brilliant. It scored every time you needed a score like Aaron Mooney or Sean McVie was coming up with another one. Sean McVie then eventually or McVeigh eventually just kind of the final nail in the coffin was definitely that that 70 yard run. It just kind of the game was was gone at that stage. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was- and it was, yeah. it was pretty good. It was a joint game plan. And, and, you know, we worked on it all week. We knew that we could get ahead and get ahead early and let the defense do their thing and let us just chip away, chip away, chip away, pick up fourth down stops when we had to. We knew that the offense would just find the rhythm. And we did. We had constant fresh legs on defensive line. Big shout out to the defensive line. Offense get a lot of love and deservedly so. But I think we had, Larry, how many defensive line rotations did we have for three men? 12 or 14 uh, defensive 14, line rotations? 14 players. 14, yeah. yeah, 14 players 14 rotating players, yeah. in to play D-line in a three-man front. Every three in a rotation plays. of three plays. So it's just fresh blood, yeah. fresh so legs. So constant, just wave after wave. Fresh legs, fresh legs, fresh legs. Yeah. It was just a culminate. It was just a, you know, it was a mix of, of everything. And again, this goes back to our culture where we don't have lads that are, you know, I'm only getting three plays and I'm in and I'm out. Like, you know, the lads know they're part of a system. They're, they're, they're a cog in a machine. And, and that's the end result is all that matters. So, yeah, it was class. We executed it. We felt perfectly. I would, as a defensive coordinator, would like to give up one or two less touchdowns. But, you know, we accounted for that. So it was all that mattered at the end of the day was well, score more one score at, at the end of the fourth quarter was score one more point than the Rebels. We managed to do that. I remember we talked about that at halftime. You know, we were looking to, you know, ex- keep accelerating as we got into the, late in the third, into the fourth, and, and you know, just take the lead at some point there, you know, properly take the lead and just go away, you know, run away to the finish line. That's really, I think, how everybody looked at it. So I never saw anybody waver there. That's the approach we had from, like, the start of the game to the end of the game. Yeah, brilliant. It was just amazing. It was 
it was class to watch as well. I really can't stress that enough. We've mentioned then, you know, a few names and standout players. And so when it comes to the the MVP, for me, before it was announced who the MVP was, there was kind of, and I think it, this is kind of a synopsis. Anyone I've been chatting to has kind of had the same thing. There was kind of three stand, st- absolute standout players you know the first one being Sean Mc a rookie and especially that final touchdown he just kind of put them away but you know he ran for what was it 200 and over 230 yards two touchdowns on the day he was unbelievable it's also very hard to pass up I think a QB that runs an offense that scores 50 points especially when those 50 points are coming against like one of the best defenses in the league and but very deservedly so it went to yourself Tom and as a veteran of the sport it was just so delighted to see it for you and then as well you know you really had kind of a career game in that Shamrock Bowl you know you were playing wide receiver you had two touchdowns wide receiver about 88 yards you're also free safety at one stage you're a punter and had that amazing kick you know (laughs) pin the Rebels back again it seemed to be that everyone on UCD, whenever you needed a play, a play happened. When you needed a touchdown, touchdown happened. When you needed a good punt, like a good punt happened. It couldn't have gotten better. How did it feel that moment, having been a veteran for so long? You talked about the trauma of having lost, you know, playoffs and never getting that kind of that playoff win. And then suddenly it kind of all happens all so fast. And how did it feel, you know, to be the MVP of the Shamrock Bowl? Oh, geez, I'm I'm not I wasn't I'm not the best at taking compliments sometimes. So like I mean, getting at first when it was announced, you have all the the lads turning around trying to find me, and I've kind of like slinked into the corner of the the group of lads walking up to the to the stage or whatever. So once they found me and they saw me, I'm just like I don't even know how to really receive that. Then walking up the stage, getting uh, I Andy had already been on at the 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 kids in the rebels jerseys, already putting out their hands for high fives, but leaving them hanging. And I was like, I might as well. I, I I was fully prepared to to be left hanging, but I was like, I'll just see what they do. But all but one left me hanging, so I'm just left a bit like, you know, <laughs> just a bit embarrassed again, going up the stairs to the award. But oh, like I was trying to find my parents in the crowd, both parents and uh, and my sister and and other, actually a pair of auntie and uncle and stuff had come to watch as well. So like, I I mean, my first thought is to. Well, I mean, after getting mobbed by the team is trying to see if I can catch their eyes or whatever. I think I saw my dad. He was, I think he was incredibly proud and just, it made me feel quite as, it's quite emotional. Like, but it's only, I guess, after that, that, uh, <laughs> so when it, I was wondering, I was like, is this a bit, was this a bit of a legacy award nearly when, when everyone quotes the Sean McVay stats, I'm like, geez, yeah, geez, Sean did have a fucking great game. <laughs> like, and I was like, did I really deserve this? And uh, did I just get it? Cause I'm, I've been. A servant for to the league for 10 years or something but I mean like look I should have probably given a speech or some sort of commemoration to the rest of the lads that obviously got me up there basically but I mean the linemen absolutely deserve it and the linemen never wins any of the prestigious awards they accept that but me being too crap at public speaking to be honest sir like I don't I don't love uh, the thought especially in front of maybe a few hundred people I was uh, I was just looking to, to to get off the stage and maybe save that for you know the personals on the bus or in the locker room and stuff with the lads yeah I get you and just to kind of uh dispel any of those doubts absolutely not it was not a legacy type of thing you had in my opinion the game of your career it's as good as I've ever seen you play I just think 
it was amazing and so deserved that you got the MVP award on the day. So nobody is thinking that you won it just because you're a vet and everyone is thinking you won it because you deserved it because of what you did on the day. Like, and I think that everybody is so delighted for you as well. You could see that, you know, on the, the live stream and fairness to the, to Liam Ryan and, um, fantastic. And, yeah, he kept that stream going. He asked, he actually said, do you, you want to see the awards pre- like presenting, you know, will we end it here? What do you want? And, unanimous from the people watching online like no we want to see who's winning MVP we want to see them lift the bowl and stuff like that so it was brilliant now with where you are like what's the goal going forward what's the goal going into 2023 it would be foolish not to say the goal is to try and run it back we know what it takes we know like realistically we know the amount of work that it takes I remember chatting to to Tom Telford right after the the bowl and uh, well, still in, in Kingspan, and he kind of vocalized it and worded it very well. Where it, for us, it basically became like a second job, right? From a coaching standpoint, it became like a second job. We trained twice a week, but that's just what the lads on the pitch will see. The amount of time and effort and stuff that is put in from the coaches to review tape, to upload tape, to break everything down on huddle that's in season, to work on game plans and so on and so forth that really does become a second job but we know what it takes we know the kind of effort it it takes and i feel like the players know that too but yeah i mean when you win a goal you kind of it'd be cool if we could do it again but you also have to come to appreciate you know the amount of effort that for instance the trojans put in to win it four years i think in a row uh going back into the 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 20 teens so from my end I'll happily run it back, and I feel like it's a, it's something that's kind of echoed uh, across a lot of the guys on the team as well. Yeah, nothing is ever perfect. You know, we, we, you always immediately go to the things that you can do better and better ways of working and practicing and better plays and all the rest, you know. So, yeah, your mind immediately kind of shifts back to that mindset of, you know, how can we get better? So I think that's something we'll continue to try to do. It's definitely go again. Um I don't think there's anyone on this call or there's anyone um, in UCD that isn't thinking the same way. Um, it's kind of something that as I've gotten older and Larry's saying it's, you know, he's enjoying the moment and stuff. And it only lingered for about a week for me. And I was already thinking about rookie intake, training schedules, playbook breakdown. And Larry was just like, will you just take a break and just, you know, relax and don't worry about it. And it's something that... I probably need to learn as I get older is to enjoy the moment a bit more. But yeah, it's on to the it's definitely on to the next one and getting the best out of it uh, and getting the best out of the lads and the improvements we need to improve because as Mark said, you know, you can always do stuff better and we've definitely got our sights set on um, getting better for next year. Yeah. Tara Belichick over there doesn't like to enjoy the moment too much, just looking to the to the next thing. <laughs> Well, you know, he, he 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 may have had a hand in the game plan preparation as well and his philosophy about doing things. So um, he kind of has an idea about what he's talking about. So he's that's a that's a, a, a very um, well-received compliment, Kelly. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Most welcome, Tom. You know, you're on board with that as well. But what are you thinking about winning another another bowl and getting another MVP under the, the title or what's the goal into 2023? 
but I wouldn't be that greedy now. I think I'm happy to, <laughs> to sh- share the award around with anyone that wants to, to state their claim, but I will challenge them if we get back there, you know, I'm not going to let them have it easy. Yeah, Tom, I think you're being you're being very modest there, you know, after your, your success in the last bowl, being MVP, you know, it was a performance that was so incredible that it won you quite a few plaudits across the water over in the States. I believe that after that game, you've now got quite the large fan following over there. Yeah, Jesus, we uh, if we could have rehashed the uh, yeah. So Brandon, since you know joining the team, he has his uh, his friends across the pond watching the live stream as well. But uh, he they sent his his friend actually sent him a recording of him just shouting what he thought was my name into the into his phone, and we we sent it into our group. But uh, he's calling me calling me Tommy Donegan, and uh, since everyone just latched on to it now and it's become a basically a, a, a meme almost in, uh, inside our um, inside our whatsapp group so the lads will have explained to you but uh yeah we've we've they've gone and take ordered uh jerseys print or uh, t-shirts printed with uh, this guy a, a screenshot of him with myself on the front uh tommy donegan plastered over it me my humble self could not buy a t-shirt of my own face to put to wear for myself but uh we bought you one my, yeah my friend Paddy Sweeney worry. has actually bought me one so I guess <laughs> I'm obliged to wear the thing I'll feel so <laughs> up my own hole about it but uh I'll, I'll do my best to deflect here with my just red red cheeks red face like how many jerseys did you say you're on the way from the states uh, oh I geez. think there's about 60 ordered I think in or around <laughs> Brandon himself has at least ordered I want to say a half dozen to bring back to his groomsman, I think he's getting married over in the states and and at the end of the year, so I think the the attire at some stage during his wedding will be a Tommy Donegan t shirt. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> brilliant. So good. Wearing a stag or something like. I'm getting married anytime soon. Like a small end of season raffle with a signed one of them. I think would go down quite the treat. It was going down yeah. very well. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. thinking we could do competition like this thing will freaking explode. Everyone, it's a niche, a niche audience here, Karina. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think we've really managed to cover. You know, sort of spend hours sitting here talking about the ins and outs of everything. As the time gets later here in Ireland and the day only begins for Kelly in Singapore, I think we've managed to. To give a, a broad enough coverage of everything, the sort of the main points over the, the UCD season and how it all sort of amalgamated in the the bowl victory, the first, and what going by that performance will definitely not be the last. There's many many seasons ahead for for the players, for the coaching staff, and I think it's something that we can all just like look forward to continuing to watch and appreciate it and just enjoy being in the moment of it all. Yeah, you're gonna watch the games, Robbie. Now you're gonna come down and watch a game, or. Sorry. At the price of diesel at the minute, I'm gonna say no. <laughs> That's <laughs> fair. That's. I did invite Joe down to do some training with us as well, and uh, the the monitors. Uh, uh, coaches so they were going to try and get a combined scrimmage next year so um yeah you're welcome to come down and have a look then Robbie if you want and, and see how we do things absolutely would love that absolutely yeah that would be brilliant Joe will friggin love that as well he just lives and breeds football and that would be brilliant for them especially the position they're in like coming up from a division under and 
kind of playing with the big boys now like do you know so that's class yeah. Dara that's unreal uh, I think fair play to in there for offering to do that for a team that is now a competitor I think that's brilliant yeah are they going to be in the ball next year Kelly or what's the what's the prediction you just don't know like sure we'll have to do our <laughs> pre-season predictions like do you know what I mean we might do like there could be a sleeper team coming into the premier <laughs> for 2023 um, we will see we will see Looking forward to it. Yeah, the whole sense that I'm getting, even chatting to you, is just that the entire thing from start to finish, from the very start, first game right up to the bowl, that it was just a team effort on every single aspect, you know, offense, defense, whatever, play calling, all of this, that everybody played their part and everyone bought in. And that's what it takes to win a bowl. And that's what you did this season. So, again, huge just, congratulations. Just on that, Kelly. Just, just on that, Kelly, before we finish. Um, yeah, we used everybody. Everybody got game time. Everybody got in. Everybody played. There was there was times when we didn't have. I don't think we had the same offensive line for every game this season, except the two semis, the semi and the the, the final. So we had guys swapping in, changing, moving around continuously. We had rookies coming through. We had when when we say it was a team effort. I don't know how many guys we had dressed for the bowl but I'm pretty sure every single one of them played and contribute contributed to to the win at, at, in the bowl or throughout the season so that's something we're quite proud of as a club that we you know and it's something we make make a point of is that our players doesn't matter who we are come down we'll find somewhere for you so Robbie as a fifth string running back there or starting guard if you ever fancy going back to study in UCD by all means we'll get you in there somewhere we'll get you some garbage time yards for your fantasy football uh, calls and we'll, uh, we'll get you something <laughs> we'll make sure to your stock goes up there so um but yeah no it's something we're, we're we're proud of as a club and i think we should you know that's something we want to get out there to our lads and we we definitely try to make the most of it and lads know if they're on special teams they need to commit and and bust their guts on special teams because they know if they do that they'll get onto the the old fable you know you play hard on special teams you'll get on a starting spot somewhere else and we try to we try to stay with that and live with that no, that's that's absolutely fantastic. That's been a great episode. I really enjoyed actually just being able to be a part of it now myself. I'm sure Kelly's the same. And really just want to thank you all for joining us here on the show today. And the paperwork is in the post. Good <laughs> <laughs> man. Well, that is the boys from UCD. So thank you very much to them for joining us on the podcast it was an absolute honor it was an honor also to host the boys from the rebels huge thank you to tony rogers from the antrim jets for getting invites i think they've added so much to this episode and do you know is there anything is there anything else that you want to say on this joe just on the season itself i mean it was fantastic seeing a full kitted season back again yeah after was it a three-year gap between the last Shamrock Bowl and then this year's? Mm, I don't think it was three. Yeah. I think it was. I think it was two. No, it would have been 2019. 2019 was the last Shamrock Bowl. Three, Jeez, Yeah, I know. Tell you what, lads, we won't do it again. Yeah. We won't go. <laughs> we won't go another three years between Shamrock Bowls. Hopefully, all the trials and tribulations and celebrations of this season carry forward into next year. I know we have uh, youth football and flag football to cover. Don't worry, we'll get to it. We know we're it's already we've in got the works. Stuff to cover. Yeah. We've got it. Don't worry. We are very excited to cover 
uh, the 2023 season. Can't wait for more football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can't forget our, our Div 1 and Div 2 bowls as well, which still, which are, again, in the works. They're still going to yeah. come out. But you're right, it has been a friggin' hell of a season and uh, it's, it's been class and love doing this gig and featuring our, our own athletes, players, coaches, etc., members, you know, admin staff, etc., etc. Yeah, and we love that you keep listening to us for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why you do it, lads, to be completely honest. It's not for us. But we're 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 glad <laughs> we're glad you do regardless. It's, it's not for us. It's for the people we feature. <laughs> That's what yeah. It is. Absolutely. <laughs> well yeah, so the last word I suppose of of this has to be with UCD and just congratulations to them and looking forward to what twenty twenty three is gonna bring. Yes, sir. I think with that, we'll wrap up this episode. Um, we have been your hosts. Kelly Dwyer. I'm Kevin Hart. Peace. <laughs>